Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Shoots it. Rebound. They score. Bring out the Zamboni. Braden Shen wins it for the Blues. One nothing tonight at Enterprise Center. Oh, baby, the Cardinals are back and the Blues are back with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kiley. Should we get the Paul Revere comments going? I thought he. The uh, Blues are coming. The Blues are coming. I thought, are you stealing my bet? Come on, man. It's my Paul Revere joke. I thought he was going to mess up there saying that the Cardinals were back, meaning the Blues. No, 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 Found his way through it. No, no, no. You're a damn professional, BK. Thank you, and sir. people don't tell you that enough. I appreciate that. Last night, the Blues went in overtime. One did nothing. I don't care about the fact that they went up against a team that had an AHL lineup. I don't care about the fact yeah, that the National Predators have been really struggling lately. So have the Blues, damn it. And they got about? off the schneid last night, and they played a really solid game. Mm-hmm. Offensively, not great, but you had some opportunities. Defensively, Man, the first thing I want to mention is the fact that Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola both got penalties, and I was happy about both of them. Both of them were aggressive penalties. Mikola's in the crease, shoving a guy out of the way. It was the second time he did that, got warned the first time, and then took a penalty on the second one. Mikola doesn't take your warnings. Colton Pareko checking a guy into the boards. And he didn't get hurt this time when he did it. Not necessarily a smart play, but a play that I will take, given what the alternative has been much of the season. Alex, what did you see last night? How would you compare it to what we have seen from the Blues for much of the season? It might not have been the prettiest victory on the offensive side for St. Louis, but defensively, I don't know how you can walk away from that and not at least be a little bit optimistic. I mean, it's back-to-back games that I think all said and done, they played a solid game defensively. Now, I understand Colorado got away from them there and the boxing out didn't work, but you corrected it in a matter of 24 hours by clearing the front of your net really well. And defensively, yeah, you went up against the Nashville Predators, but you still found a way to keep their offense to the outside. You didn't give them a whole lot of second and third scoring chances. And you're right. Colton Pareko and Nico Mikola, I think, were the two highlights from that game because defensively, they cleared the front of the net. They played aggressively. The Blues, as a team, defensively played strong because they weren't creating a lot of turnovers. They were back-checking heavily. They were making the smart plays out of their zone. Everything about that game, to me, looked a lot like how they played defensively against the Edmonton Oilers early in the season. Offensively is a little bit of a different story, but hey, take... 
take the wins where you can get them. And defensively, that was a big win, in my opinion. Here's Craig Berube last night after the game on what he thought about that performance. It's a heavy game. We knew that. It's always a heavy game with them. They're a big team. Not much. So it was a good, it was a good hockey game. Battled, you know, competed. Heavy game all around. That's the kind of game that Craig Berube likes to see. Now, Craig Berube, what would you think about your defensemen, especially guys like Nico Mikola and Colton Pareko boxing out in front of the net? Tonight showed it and made emphasis that they go to the net as good as any team in the league. That's their game, so we better be strong around there. And Our D were solid tonight. They're physical and heavy, um, you know, battling at the net, broke pucks out really well. They did a good job couple of things that instantly ta- uh, jump out to me on the score sheet, Alex, from last night. 18 block shots. He likes seeing that. The other thing that really impressed me, penalty kill. Four for four on the penalty kill last night. Now, power play, need a little work. Got some decent shots on it, but needs a little bit of work. Penalty kill going four for four. You're now seven for seven on the PK in the last two games. That's what changed things for you. And a lot of that was the block shot. Somebody on the text line, 65780, was the air comfort service text line from the 208. No mention of Torobchenko. This is where we get to him. Thought he looked great on the PK last night. Blocked three shots, I think, on one sequence, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Had another one at five on five. Was strong going to the net right, right away. You could see, oh, okay, he's back. This is the player that we saw last year. He drives wide. He ends up using that speed to get into the front of the net, create some traffic. Boom, you're ready to go. I thought he played a really good game last night. I thought overall the lines looked more balanced. I know that's what Barubi was looking for. Played pretty well overall. Again, it it was not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. But my biggest takeaway from that one is I think when Craig Barubi and Doug Armstrong were in the offseason putting this team together, that's the style of play that they were envisioning for this team. We're going to have to win some games three to two, two to one while our offense figures it out. And we try to replace that production that they lost from last year with David Perron, especially if they knew that they were going to be without Pavel Buchnevich for an extended period of time. So that game to me looked like the team we were supposed to see this season, unlike what we've seen for the other, whatever, 24 of them so far this year. Yeah, and, and people aren't going to like hearing this, but I mean, they did just, the bounces just didn't work in their favor on the offensive side last night. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly in the second period on a power play had a puck bounce off of UC Soros right to him, and he whiffs on the one-time shot into the back of the net. Like, that's kind of how it goes. But again, if you tighten up one area of your game, the other side will come along. And I thought the fact that the Blues tightened everything up on their own side, penalty kill is going to instill some confidence in this team. Five-on-five play is going to have a little bit more confidence in how you're performing, and you're getting the confidence from your goaltender. And I'm with you. I loved Alexi Torbchenko. I thought that was one of the best decisions that Barubi made with his line combinations last night because you shifted Braden Shen back to a centerman role, which I think is very important. But Kairou and Thomas need a big body that goes to the front of the net. They like to play that run-and-gun style where they pass and play make doesn't work if you don't have anybody in front of the net because all you're doing is taking shots for a goalie that sees him but Torbchenko the first play of that game he parked himself right in front of the crease and Barubi said after practice the last couple of days before they played against Colorado that we got to have guys who are willing to go to the front of the net and stay in front of the net because it's one thing to go to the front of the net but it's another thing that you're going to actually stay there for the sustained offensive zone time so and by the way that's not an easy thing to do mentally Like, if you're going to stay in front of the net, you risk potentially getting hit with a puck. 
hey, that's not going to feel good. Ask Jordan Bennington when he got hit with his wrist. Do you see what he said afterwards about making the glove save after getting hit with the puck? It's like, meh, it hurts, but it'll be fine. Yeah. I'll get through it. Benner's I know you don't like Jordan Bennington, but Benner's a gamer. I'd run through a wall for that guy. Damn right I would. Do you hear what Peruby said about Bennington after the game last night? Never thought twice about it. Well, no, he called him, said, oh, he's a blue. Yeah. What do you like to hear? Backs it up, BK. Tanner? Yeah, I mean, I was impressed with Torpchenko because he's going to the net, as you mentioned. And him with that Kyra Thomas line looked really well. I, I thought him and uh, Chari were the best players on the ice last night for the Blues in terms of the forward position. Uh, I, I thought that when you look at the defense. I, two guys. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> My two. guys are doing well this year. Alex, where are yours? Yeah, where's Brown? One started skating yesterday. Where's Brown and Neighbors? Where are they at? Neighbors is, uh, just scored a goal in the minor leagues. <laughs> Ruby can't even find Brown. He doesn't even know where he's at, he said. Who are you? Are you, are you claiming guys? that are yours it just doesn't match well Kyra is my guy I'll, usually I'll trade him anyway so and defensively I thought they were good again for the second straight game that was my question going into that one you know we talked about it in that Colorado game felt like a full 59 minutes and 53 seconds performance could they could they repeat that in the next game in a back-to-back because that felt like one of those games going into last night where we talked about a team that goes to the front of the net like Nashville does where they would take advantage against the Blues defense and the Blues would kind of have that head head down moment against Nashville coming off a disappointing loss to Colorado and it was good to see them respond because earlier in the year I don't think they would have had that kind of response and to come out and play the way that they did last night hopefully it's a building block moment for the team I'm not saying I'm buying in but hopefully it's one of those games that you can look back on if they do turn this around and go that was the beginning of where this started to honestly the Colorado games one that you can probably circle where the penalty kill was good mm-hmm. and the defense was good for a full 60 minutes this is BK's Paul Revere moment the blues are coming the blues are coming it's exactly how I expected your voice to sound in that <laughs> from the 618 guys please stop praising this horse. it was a crappy win against a them. crappy team the Blues need to play like this against a quality team, such as a playoff opponent. Then we can start talking about the Blues being back. All right, if we want to pee in the Cheerios this morning, let's go ahead and do it. Oh. The second period sucked. At 5-on-5, five five, the Blues were outchanced in terms of scoring chances 13-1. to one. Oh, yeah? How many goals did they score? I'm with you. The Predators outchanced them 13-1. to one. High danger chances, it was 4 to nothing. In the last two periods of that game, the, peer, or the Predators out. High danger chance, the Blues. We're going to get there, boys. <laughs> nine to two. The Predators had nine. The Blues had two. It's not what you want. So the reason I bring that up is because this was not a 60-minute performance. This was not one of those games where you look back at it and you say the Blues played really, really well for the entirety. No, I think they actually played a little better against Colorado than they did last night. They just didn't go up against as quality of an opponent last night as they did against Colorado. So to that texture's point, yeah, you beat a middling to below average team last night. Can you do it again? Can you beat Edmonton on the road? What do you look like on this Western uh, Canada road trip where you got Edmonton, Calgary, and then Vancouver, and then you come back to the United States with Seattle and Vegas? What do you look like in this stretch? Because these are the quality teams that you want to see them play. I'm like you, Tanner. I'm skeptical. I'm not sure how much I buy into what we saw last night. I've seen them play well before. I've seen them take advantage of bad opponents before. Didn't mean much. Can you continue to do this? Can you make good on what Jordan Bennington did over the last couple of games where he played really well? He made some comments to Jeremy Rutherford the other day, said how frustrated he was about the fact that he was once again getting that quote unquote reset. Gets the back to back, played well in both games. Can you keep it up? That's going to be the next task for them. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm still very skeptical because defensively we've seen this before where they have a couple of good games and you're thinking, all right, they got this righted. And then all of a sudden it falls, but there is at least some optimism from how they performed in those two games. And look, yes, it wasn't a full 60 minute effort, but I actually thought even in the second period, despite them giving up those scoring chances, they, they still maintained the same defensive composure in their own zone of keeping it to the outside and not allowing those second and third scoring chances, which is more than you can say in some other games for this team. But the only optimism that this team has in terms of if they get back in this and this does start your Paul Revere return is Bennington continuing this and the veterans taking over for you. That's the only way you're going to get out of this. In the last two games, your veterans have done that for you. Colorado, I thought they did it on the offensive side, and last night they did it on the defensive side. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking last night, what does it say that the first time that you've had kind of a evenly matched opponent, it's an opponent that's also sitting five points out of a playoff spot, also a 500 team that also has three games in hand on you. And that had a decent amount of injuries on the blue line last night that you were able to take advantage of by scoring one goal in 65. But Nashville's just a really yeah. similar team to the Blues in terms of like their goaltender is their main piece of their success. Like sure. UC Saros is how they succeed and the same can be said about the Blues with Jordan Bennington. So you're he- buying back in with a five game winning streak on the road? Uh, I'll start to have a lot of confidence if they have a five-game winning streak. Okay. Now, what is the what are the odds of them getting a five-game winning streak? I mean, Vegas would have seen that them, at like 100 to 1. I've seen them win seven Good thing they row. end with Vegas. He's yeah. Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up that's in 15 minutes, I know. we're going to talk about some coaching news in the college football landscape. One not-so-great news item. Mike Leach, if you missed it earlier today, has officially passed away. I've got some thoughts on Leach and what he has meant to the game of college football including a local school that benefited from all of the things that he did in terms of his schematics offensively. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes, but coming up next, what kind of a starter should the Cardinals be looking for if they decide to dive into that market? A good one. We'll expand on that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is there a guy out there who's better than what you already have? Now, some would say, you know, Rodon would be that guy, but at what price? Uh, And then you go to another tier of pitchers that I'm not sure is any better than what you already have on your roster. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio you just heard was Mike Claiborne on with the morning show earlier today. If you missed any of their conversation with Claves, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I agree with Claves. I do think that the Cardinals need to search for another quality starter. But the important disclaimer there is quality. And that's where I think the conversation really begins, Alex, because there was a piece earlier today over on MLB.com, and they went through the most interesting and most likely fits for each of the top remaining players on the market. And when they got to Nathan Avaldi, they said that the most interesting potential fit was the Cardinals. They added, quote, the Cardinals have the option of going with what they've got in the rotation, but it said uh, they still could use another dose of velocity in playoff pedigree. And Evaldi can provide both of those things without St. Louis totally breaking the bank. So they think that 
Nathan Avaldi makes some sense for the Cardinals. We have seen reports elsewhere that, hey, maybe the Cardinals are a mystery team in on Carlos Rodon. We're all skeptical of that report. I don't buy it at all, especially if he's going to get that six or seven year deal that he's looking for. But it's out there nonetheless. The next best pitchers on the market right now of the sp- of the starting pitcher variety, Alex, according to the Athletic, are Michael Waka, Noah Syndergaard, and Corey Kluber. I'll take Thor. I'll take the God of Thunder. Outside of Rodon, who I think makes sense, except for the salary, and maybe we could talk about Nathan Ovaldi. I'm not sure any of those guys tangibly upgrade uh, what your roster is right now. So in your mind, what should the Cardinals be looking for if they are going to go out there and try to acquire a starter? A trade. I hear quality starter, and I think somebody who can offset one of your five in your rotation. And I don't think I don't believe Nathan Avaldi does that for you. I think I'd probably rather have the guys that you have in your rotation now if healthy over Nathan Avaldi. Carlos Rodon, Rodon obviously, he's one of those guys, but there's no quality available free agent starter that I'd sit here and say, "Yeah, that makes sense and let's shift guys around." And so I think you look for a trade. I think that's the only way you can find that quality starter and it doesn't seem like that's very viable for this team because there's just not those guys available to you via free agent or via trade so our text line brought up a very intriguing option is it max freed from atlanta yes six five seven eight is the air comfort service text line Ooh, thoughts i have to be honest i missed this report this morning i did not see this until the texter brought it to our attention according to jim callis who works for mlb.com he's one of their prospects guys he said today on mlb network quote with the Braves payroll climbing and climbing, I'm hearing that Max Freed might be on the block. They may not be able to re-sign him long-term, so don't be shocked if we see a Max Freed trade this offseason. Now, there's a lot of ifs and maybes and possiblys and could-bes in that report. It's not a firm, the Braves are listening to offers on Max Freed so much as it is, hey, if you connect some dots here, it might make sense for the Braves to trade Max Freed. That is exactly the type of pitcher that I would be interested in if I'm the Cardinals. I don't buy this like I don't buy Carlos Rodon as a mystery team for the or the Cardinals are a mystery team for him. I also wouldn't have expected them to trade William Contreras prior to yesterday. And so when but you're you, but you're getting an upgrade at the catcher position and like Max Fried is their ace. And even if you don't believe you're gonna you're gonna be able to re-sign him long term, like you're wanting to compete this year, right? And who would you be able to trade Max Fried for and get the assets back that keep you a World Series contending team in your pitching staff. So here's the thing with Freed. He's got two years left on his current contract. He is 29 years old. And if you're the Braves and you say to yourself, all right, maybe we're not going to re-sign him. Maybe we're going to let him hit the market two years from now. This would be the time when you maximize the trade value. Like if you were going to move him, now is the time to do so where he still has multiple years of club control. And this year, instead of being, he's probably going to cost about $20 million next year in arbitration. 12 million this year. Everybody can afford him. And when you look at what the prices are salary-wise on the free agency market for most of these pitchers, imagine what you would give for a pitcher of Max Fried's caliber on a two-year deal worth roughly $32 million. Because that's what you're getting him for. Well, let's imagine it. What are you going to have to give up to get Max Fried from Atlanta? A lot. And something that they're probably not going to be willing to swallow when it comes to the assets they're giving up if you think you're competing. I... Who do you think has more trade value, Tanner? What would you guess? And I don't know the answer to this question. Oh, okay, good. Sean Murphy or Max Freed? 
Sean Murphy, given his three years, I think, left of club control, or yeah. Max Freed as a pitcher, they break more often with two years left of club control. My gut would tell me Max Freed's an ace, though. It's Max Freed. I know. I don't know. I My gut would say my gut would say Murphy because it's a catcher it's a tougher position to develop it's I mean, probably pretty similar though right yeah because I mean you look at Sean Murphy Murphy's one of the I mean we've talked about it. he's one of what the top five best catchers in Major League Baseball he's got offensive ability gold glover good defense so like he's he's a rare commodity behind the plate freed as an ace I mean there's multiple aces now in baseball but him as an ace I would think he'd be up there I if I had to guess I would guess that it's Sean Murphy by just a little bit I mean he's coming off where he had the second most votes in the Cy Young winnings this season with the Atlanta Braves are we talking about a deal that's like Dylan Carlson and Juan Yepes or Dylan Carlson and Alec Burleson like are these the kinds of things that we're talking about because there has now been a report that came out this morning from Ken Rosenthal that the Cardinals basically said, and you can believe this or not, but Ken Rosenthal is a very trustworthy reporter. He suggested that the asking price from the Cardinals to the A's was, okay, we're not giving you Donovan and Newt Barr and let's say Gordon Graceffo, a power pitching prospect, but you can pick two from the following group of four players and we'll trade those two players for Sean Murphy. He said, we'll give you two of Gorman, Carlson, Burleson or Yepes, two of that group of four. And apparently the A said no because there wasn't a deal that was done. Would you give up two of that group for Max Freed? Can I pick the two? <laughs> because I'd be I worried mean, Carlson and Gorman get selected in this, and I think that hurts your team. Sure, but I, I would say that the Braves would probably, maybe the Cardinals would say to them, hey, you get one of Carlson or Gorman, and, and then, then one, one of, of. I would do that trade. Yepes or. I would do um, that trade Burleson. right now. Because I, I, he's an ace, he's your ace, and you've got him for the next two years, and then hopefully you'll be able to afford to keep him around, or maybe if you decide not to. But, I, I mean, I, I feel like there would still be some work to be done if you're the Cardinals in the offseason now because you'd be trading away a couple of bats that you were planning on being impactful. But what did we talk about when, when Wilson Contreras signed? Well, you got depth right now on your team, and you can deal from an area of strength rather than an area of weakness and if you can get Max Freed, absolutely. I just, I'm very skeptical on this because I just don't, I think Atlanta's probably saying, yeah, we'll trade him, but for a King's ransom. And if you don't give that to us, we're keeping Max Freed this season and then we'll address sure. it at the trade deadline or we'll address it in the offseason again because you're going to want to compete and you got to get something that keeps you competitive. And I think you're going to want some type of pitcher in return. Yeah. I, I, I don't I know wonder if they, they would want. then, I, I wonder if the Braves are pivoting to sign Carlos Rodon. That, that would be like, what, or maybe they're pivoting to. But it get sounds like this is more of a, I guess the fear of not resigning. But this also kind of sounds like a dump a little bit too. Of yeah, we can't resign him, but also like look at our payroll. Our payroll's taking off, and we can develop pitching. So let's just let's sell high. Well, yeah, on and him. if like, you're gonna, I mean, I, and obviously Freed's probably going to get more than what Rodon's getting to get, but it's still going to be a pretty significant, at least close uh, match when it comes to the amount of money you're throwing out there for. Rodon for six, seven years to Freed if you're going to have to lock him up. Maybe they have something and else I, in the I works. Wonder, maybe I wonder if they're looking for, looking for somewhere else. I, I know they're high on what's the kid that's going to be a shortstop for him now. Is it Grisham? Is that his name? Or am I thinking of somebody else? I know they have somebody they think can fill Swanson's shoes if they don't re-sign Swanson. I wonder if they're trying to find a shortstop to be a part of the deal. Like, we'll give you Freed and won't we win. won't win in this package because we know win's close. Like, that would make sense. I can't remember who it is that <laughs> they're that high on to go play for shortstop. <laughs> Grissom. Uh, yeah, it Grissom. is Grissom. Okay, that's what I thought. I'd do that in a heartbeat if that's what it is. I, I wonder if that's something that they're looking at it in terms of, okay, let's see if we can find another shortstop in case it. Grissom doesn't do it. I, 
Absolutely. I mean, for, uh, the the first question that we started with here, and we kind of evolved into a conversation about would you trade for Max Fried, yes or no. But the first question we started with is, okay, what kind of a pitcher should you be looking for? That the answer to the question is Max Fried type. Like you should be looking for a guy that can slot in, and you can you can understandably say that guy's going to start a game one or two for us. Last year at the trade deadline, we were talking about, hey, could they start a game three or four? Because that's what they needed. Right now, it's no longer can you start in the playoffs, like just a game in an NLDS type of a setting or an NLCS type of a setting. Now you're looking for a, could you be at the front end of the rotation in that type of a setting? Because you've got the depth. Your game five starter right now could reasonably be Adam Wainwright. So you don't need to upgrade from Adam Wainwright. That's what you're not what you're trying to do here. You're trying to upgrade or bring more certainty than Jack Flaherty. That's what you're trying to get if you're going out there to the open market via trade or free agency to be able to acquire a starter, in my mind. So Nathan Avaldi, to me, I can kind of understand it to a degree, but I would rather just re-sign in this scenario Jordan Montgomery. And now you've just got him around for the next few years. I would rather re-sign Miles Michaelis, who instead of costing you whatever it is that Avaldi's going to be, maybe 16, 17, 18 million bucks, maybe you can get over the next two or three years. Uh, Miles Michaelis at 15 million bucks. I would rather do that. So I would rather keep my internal options than sign one of these middling starters. But if you can go out there and get an upgrade, Carlos Rodon, in. Sounds good if it's a reasonable deal. It's not going to be, though. Max Freed, in. That sounds great. I could be talked into a Pablo Lopez, but that's the level that we're talking about here. That's where the Cardinals should be reaching. I want somebody who, when you look at it on paper, you try and debate who's the number one guy for you. And I don't think any of the names that we brought up. They should be able to have a real conversation where we say on the show, who's better, Flaherty or this guy when they're healthy. Yep, exactly. And honestly, Michaelis is a clear cut number three in this situation, which I think is an improvement. You're making your rotation better. So uh, that's the guy you're looking for. It's absolutely Max Freed. I've said for a while it's Shane Bieber, and I know you're not going to get him. Pablo Lopez, Carlos Rodon, those are the guys you're looking at. And anything else I think is just a waste of time. I, I agree with that assessment. It has to be a guy that when you acquire him and, and you look at a playoff series, it's not like when we went into the wild card round this year where it's like, oh, man, yeah, advantage Aaron Nola over Jose Quintana or Zach Wheeler over Jose Quintana. It's, ooh, Wheeler versus insert ace here Rodon wow this is a really good pitching matchup and I know that I've said this I think that the Cardinals rotation can compete with those guys where they can at least keep it close but they're always never going to be favored on paper on paper it's always going to go towards the other team's ace can you get a guy that can get into that caliber where it's oh man this is a a just heavy matchup between two strikeout guys. This game's going to go down to who's got the better bullpen. That's what the Cardinals are missing for a top-end starter. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. If you guys have any further questions on the trade market, the free agency market, or just the baseball offseason, you can get those all in coming up in 15 minutes at 65780. But next, Mizzou and Illinois might both be in the coordinator market this offseason. Illinois, for sure, sounds like Mizzou will be as well. What does it mean for them? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. If you guys have any questions, there was some news earlier today for the Illini. Tanner was very upset about this. What happened, buddy? Talk to us. Oh, Illinois man. defensive coordinator Ryan Walters has been named the next head coach oh. at Purdue. 
Ooh. Ryan Walters was the coach of one of, if not the top defenses in all of college football this year. He's the former Mizzou defensive coordinator. He's now, what did you say, going to be the fourth youngest head coach in the FBS? Yeah. Can I ask a question real quick? No. Did Ryan Walters go to Purdue because he saw how bad they beat his defense and they said, I want to coach that team? Maybe. I think Ryan Walters is going to be a really good head coach. From everything that I understand about him, he's a very good recruiter. He connects well with the players. He's obviously very young. I think he's going to do a good job at Purdue. This is a very good hire, in my opinion, by them. Tanner, let's start with the Illini side of things. What does this mean for Illinois when you, as a fan, are looking towards their 2023 season? Uh, well, I, it's going to be tough to replace him because of just the scheme that he built was part of the reason for the success of this defense for Illinois this past season. So I, I don't know how you can replace him. They still have good pieces on that defense. The defensive line is still going to be good. They are losing Witherspoon. He's going to go into the draft and be a first-round pick, it looks like. Uh, and they've got a couple of pieces coming in, but nothing like super, like no big four stars. They just got three-star commit uh, as a corner out of New Jersey today. So... I, I think what they'll do is they'll probably try to hire from internal someone that was underneath him and kind of saw his defense so they could try to keep somewhat of his scheming together this this coming season. But, I mean, he's a huge loss because, I mean, as you mentioned, he had this defense that was top. I think they were top five in points allowed per game, mm-hmm. if I remember when they finished. Um, and the part that really stings worse about it for me is the fact that matter that he's staying in the Big Ten. And he's not only in the Big Ten but in the Big Ten West with Purdue, the team that just knocked him out of a chance at a uh, – chance to play in the Big Ten title game. That That's the part that really stings for me because seeing how good his defense was, he's going to bring that to Purdue, Purdue, which Illinois is going to see for years to come constantly against Brett Bielma. And him knowing Brett Bielma's offense, I got a feeling he'll be able to shut down Brett Bielma as, as time goes along. And, and that I agree. I think he's a great hire. I thought he was going to go to Colorado. Yep. And then freaking Deion Sanders decided <laughs> to come join the FBS too, which really took that away. So, so what, the reason why I find this interesting for the Illini is because I think any time that you have a coach that is on one side of the ball, the hire on the other side for the coordinator position is such a significant thing. Like for Eli Drinkwitz, it seems like he finally got it right on the defensive side of the ball. He has Blake Baker, who they re-signed to a contract extension at the end of last season, and it was a really smart move because Blake Baker did an excellent job on the defensive side of the ball. Barry Odom, other than Josh Heupel, was never able to figure out his offensive coordinator. Josh Heupel worked out for a couple of years, but then he went to Derek Dooley. That was the undoing of... Barry Odom at Missouri. He's a defensive guy. He screwed up the offensive side of the ball, and they were never able to overcome that mistake. Now is the time when Brett Bielema has to figure out who his next defense coordinator is. And one of the pitfalls that I've seen with a lot of these coaches that end up getting into issues is doing exactly what you said, Tanner. It's hiring from within to keep the same scheme. Yeah, well, that's great, but they're not Ryan Walters. And the thing that made Ryan Walters so unique is that it was never just the same scheme. He always had new answers for whatever the offense was presenting them. And so if you go with the next guy up, that doesn't necessarily mean you're just getting the same Ryan Walters scheme that you had a year ago. It's a watered down version of whatever it was that Ryan Walters was doing. So if I was Illinois, I would not hire unless you it's clearly a guy that you just genuinely believe is going to be the next great defense coordinator. I would not just hire within to keep the the same guys within your system. I would go find the best candidate out there. Like if I was them. I would be on the phone right now with Jim Leonard, the former defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. Now, it sounds like he's going to have options in the NFL, and if he does, there's no way that Illinois is going to be able to compete with that. But, I mean, imagine the type of aggression and 
Um, he, he's going to want to get back at Wisconsin for what just happened. They hired somebody else over him after he thought he was going to get that head coaching job. So that would be the first call that I would make. And then I would just do a national search for whoever the best guy is that's available out there. Same thing should be happening at Mizzou. Mizzou is hiring an offensive coordinator, it sounds like, this offseason <laughs> to take over some of those duties from Eli Drinkwitz. Take that a off smart his decision. Plate. I think so, too. I don't want them to just hire somebody internally. I think they should go out there and find somebody externally that can bring something new to the table for their offense. So how often do they do that, though? Because it always seems like when Mizzou gets to this point, it's always the, oh, well, we got an internal guy who's been here for years and we feel like he's a perfect option for him. Yeah, I I think they're going to hire Casey Woods. He's the former tight ends coach who went down to SMU. They had a very why, good offense this year. This and is why we're always probably gonna be their seven and seven. They play 14 games in, in college football now, huh? Yeah. Typically it's 12. Um, but well, yeah, six and six, some, somewhere around there. Seven and seven. There was one the other game. game. They play a black and yellow game. They get lucky to be in a bowl I, game. We call it black an and FCS gold program. Black and yellow, black and yellow. There was one other piece of news that I did want to react to with you guys. Uh, Mike Leach has passed away this morning. Mike Leach was a a change agent in college football. Now, for those of you that have been watching the game for a long time, you probably remember him from his time at Oklahoma and then his stint at Texas Tech. And, of course, we now know what he's done at Mississippi State and Washington State over the last few years. Mike Leach, his offense, when you look at the biggest changes that we've seen in college football over the last 20 years, he was the guy that brought on most of that. You look back to those offenses at Oklahoma, that's how he got his job at Texas Tech. And then you look at, like, Graham Harrell, the offense that he had with Michael Crabtree that ended up beating Texas that year. Everybody wanted a part of that. Everybody. Started at OU. Now you look at Lincoln Riley. Where'd he come from? Well, it's the Mike Leach offense. You look at Cliff Kingsbury, who coached um, like half of the starting quarterbacks right now in the NFL, it seems like. Where did he come from? Well, the Mike Leach offense. You look at the uh, the offense that they're running right now at Oklahoma again. That's the Mike Leach offense. Everybody around college football, you, you look at what they're the, the Kiffin offense. It's it's the Mike Leach offense. This is what has changed the game, and it's that spread it out, throw it all over the yard. I saw this earlier today from Dave Matter. Um, he tweeted out a, a piece from his book that he wrote with Gary Pinkle, and Gary Pinkle's offenses early on at Mizzou stole a lot of the ideas that were a part of the air raid from Mike Leach. Here's a quote from that book. This is from Gary Pinkle. He said, our offense really struggled in 2004. Brad Smith didn't run the ball as much, and he wasn't making the progress that we needed as a passer. There was one team in the Big 12 that I spent a lot of time watching, and it was Texas Tech. Mike Leach brought this no-huddle spread offense to the Big 12, and it completely changed the game in our conference. I was in Big 12 meetings with Mike all the time, and it was pretty obvious that we were very different people. He was quirky, but he was so intelligent. I had so much respect for him and what his team was accomplishing with that offense. They were going to bowl games every single season. Our players were just as good as theirs, so what was the difference? Their offense was simply better. After that season, I called Dave Christensen, and we started talking. I told him, we've got to do something different. He felt the same way. He wanted to play faster. He wanted to spread out our formations. The concepts are so are so common now in today's game. But in 2005, there were only a handful of teams that had really embraced that no huddle spread offense. Mike Leach was the start of it all. Mike Leach was for college football what, in my opinion, Andy Reid has been for offensive football in the NFL. And now, more recently, what Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan have been in the NFL. Everybody is going to that 
wide zone offense with the heavy play action. You look at Minnesota, they're doing that now. San Francisco, L.A., it's it's all around the NFL. Kentucky, their offensive coordinator is now coming from uh, the Rams offense. Mike Leach was the guy for the 20th, 21st century in college football. He was the one that did all of that. So when you're watching Saturdays in college football next year, if you enjoy watching an offense, there's a pretty good chance that the reason why you're enjoying watching that high-flying offense is because of Mike Leach. Uh, Passed away earlier today. We are going to miss him. He completely changed the game in college football. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager. I want to get his thoughts. What would it take to acquire a guy like Max Free? Does he believe the report that he might actually be available? We'll talk to Jim Duquette coming up in 15 minutes. Questions and answers is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. And I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we're talking to Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, now with MLB Network Radio. Want to get his thoughts on what he thinks the Cardinals should do next with their offseason. What should they be targeting? All right, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, do you think that Jalen Hurts is officially considered a franchise quarterback? And if so, would you be talking contract extension with him in the offseason if you were the Eagles? Yes mm. and yes. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd consider him a franchise quarterback though, because like last year before they got AJ Brown, we were talking about how we're not he even might sure win if he MVP is. this year. I don't know how you can win yeah. an MVP and not be considered a franchise also, quarterback. Well, Lamar Jackson won MVP, and how's that working out for him? He's still a franchise quarterback. Joe Flacco won an MVP. No, he didn't. Super Bowl. He got a big contract. Okay. Look at that. I'm just saying. I think I think Jalen Hurts is a product of AJ Brown. I'll say it. Damn. Do you really? Yeah. I can't tell if you're being serious or I'm not. I'm being dead serious. Okay. I think he's for real. Um, I think he's the franchise quarterback. So you'd trade him if you were the Eagles? No, I wouldn't trade him. I would just play out the re- the remainder of his franchise, rookie contract. Rookie contract, yeah, franchise, I do what you're doing with Lamar Jackson with him. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they tried to go that route just because I could see Jalen Hurts looking for a fully guaranteed deal. I think that's going to become the standard for quarterbacks is fully guaranteed because Deshaun Watson got that. And everybody's looking at that contract going, wait, I can't believe that guy got that contract for all his see, off the field issues. Because Kyler was the one that could have like really pressed the issue there. I mean, Kyler shouldn't even gotten a contract extension. I'm with you. But hey, good for him because otherwise he'd have no money going into next year. I, I don't think that we're going to get there. When Mahomes didn't get a fully guaranteed deal and then Kyler after the Watson deal didn't get it, I think Watson was just such a unique scenario. Can't believe he was the one that got it, but whatever. Neither here nor there. I, I don't think that we'll see that. I, I would give him an extension, though, because I, I think he is the franchise quarterback for them. He just brings so much to the table. He can run the ball. He can throw the ball well. mil a year. That's the going right now. And that's why I'm not paying that out. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> Especially if he gets an MVP. That's what he's going to be asking yeah, for. That's more the thing than that, 40 a year. 
I don't know if I'd give him more than 40 mil a year. So I guess I might go the Eagles route too, where it's just rookie contract, franchise, franchise, and then we'll figure it out from there. Because, and then see ya. Well, because he runs so much, it's hard. It's any running quarterback, I'm hesitant to give that kind of contract to because we've seen Kyler non contact injury last night. Lamar's dealing with a knee injury as well. And he's been beat up the last couple of years because he's a running quarterback. Now, Grant, I think both his injuries came in the pocket, but he is a guy that runs around a lot. We saw how RG3 last in the NFL. I don't know if he's ever going to be very good, but he was a running quarterback that got hurt doing that. Same with Carson Wentz. Blew out his knee on a play going for the goal line uh, when it is MVP caliber season. So any running type quarterback, which is basically all of them nowadays, I'm a little more hesitant to uh, commit to. But I, I would, I guess I'm, I'm, you changed my mind. I'm going with just, Alex here. I just feel like when you say franchise quarterback, like that's a select few. And I just don't know if Jalen Hurts is there yet. I, th- that is where maybe we have the disagreement. Like, I think there's probably 12 to 15 guys that I would consider to be franchise quarterbacks. And what I mean when I say that personally is just I'm building my franchise around this player. And I don't anticipate a time in the near future where I'm not building around that guy. So, like, but you don't think you could put another quarterback in Philadelphia and them have success with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? I think you could, but I think that the offense looks completely different because of the value that he has in the running game. I think that part of their running game is pred- a good portion of their running game is predicated around the fact that Jalen Hurts is so special and unique in that way. And I think that Miles Sanders and the running backs are better because of him. So could you put like Dak Prescott in there and they're good? Yeah. But I think that the guys that I would say they're similar or better, all of those guys I would also say are in that franchise category. I, I always view it like if you're looking at franchise and what like to your point of if I put another quarterback there, will this team be as successful if they had like a guy that's not franchise quarterback but a good serviceable starter like Jimmy Garoppolo or Ryan Tannehill? They'd probably still be good, but they'd be sitting where like the Titans and 49ers they would not are, be a opinion. Super Bowl contender. Yeah, if Jimmy sitting, Garoppolo was their quarterback. They'd be sitting around like five loss seasons oh, basically, see, just, and they'd know, be a I good playoff just, team. But I kind of disagree there. I, I, I feel think like Tua is the guy. The, the way that you feel about Jalen Hurts is how I feel about Tua. Tua, I look at that offense and I'm like. Mm, I think I could put Jimmy G there or like former version of Alex Smith, like Ryan Tannehill. I think I could put any of those guys into that offense and they'd be pretty good. I, I don't feel that way about the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. I mean, you guys are you're preaching to your own choir right here. I'm I'm the Philadelphia kid right now. Like this is my team. <laughs> sure seems like you hate your quarterback. No, 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 no. I don't well, I'm not a fan are of you my trying quarterback. To save your money for Jordan Davis already? Wow, Jordan Davis is gonna deserve every damn penny that he's gonna earn. All right, final question. We'll get to this real quick and then we'll get to uh final question we just started, man. I know, Jim Duquette on the other side. Which wide receiver would you rather have for the next five years among the rookies? Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? They've both had really good seasons this year. The two former Ohio State guys. I think I would like to have Garrett Wilson. I like the physicality that he brings to it. He's got the speed, but on top of it, you also look at the trash that he's dealt with with the quarterback, and he's still found ways to make some magic, but that's the magic mic, I guess. So, oh, See, I think I would lean towards Chris Olave. Really? And I think part of that's just because I haven't seen enough of uh, – What's his name again? Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Sorry. Summary. <laughs> now I know why you're not going with him. I, okay. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I've just seen more of Olave than him because he's coming off the torn ACL. So I've had I, a lot I think of Jets I would go in with my Olave. parlays lately. I think I would rather have Olave. I think he's having one of the more underrated rookie seasons that we've had in a while. Chris Olave is having a really good season. If you look at the numbers, I know that a lot of people are saying Garrett Wilson is now the favorite to win uh, rookie of the year. They're basically the same for offensive rookie of the year. They have the same numbers this year. I think the offense around Garrett Wilson is slightly better than the offense around Chris Olave. So I'd probably say Chris Olave coming up in 15 minutes. We're playing a game of better to forget it, but Jim Duquette, former major league baseball GM, he's going to join us coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. 
talking with our friend, the former Major League Baseball general manager, now an analyst for MLB Network Radio, Jim Duquette. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim underscore Duquette. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jim, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing this afternoon? Uh, what's going on guys thanks for having me on everything is going well thanks absolutely we're happy to have you so uh let's start with kind of the quick reaction to what's now been about a week old but the cardinals moved to acquire wilson Contreras. they decided that's going to be their catcher of the present and the future what was your reaction when you saw them give a five-year deal to wilson Contreras? you know what i liked it you know, from their side of things i think you know when you look at you know some upgrading offensively he's made he's not the the defensive catcher, obviously, that Yachty is, and, and you know, no one, you're not going to find many that are. But I do think when you kind of look at them overall, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a little bit different. I don't think, by the way, Wilson Wilson's a bad defender. Um, he's just it's not, you know, his game calling. You know, we'll we'll get a chance to to focus on a little bit more there with St. Louis. I don't think they 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 don't have that young necessarily that young pitching staff that you need a you know a veteran type of of game caller back there. And I like the upgrade on the offensive side. So I, I, from, from that side of it, you know, they were in on uh, Sean Murphy. That was pretty expensive. When you kind of look at the, how that trade went down yesterday with Atlanta and Milwaukee, the three team trade. Uh, and so, you know, you look at the other parts of the, of the market, I thought, you know, for, for a, a player of uh, Contreras' caliber and to not be spending, geez, Two hundred million bucks, which seems which seems like guys are spending on a regular or teams are spending on a regular basis. I, I thought it was a a very reasonable uh, trade overall. I mean, uh, signing for them overall. Yeah, Jim, with all these money or contracts and, and large sums of money being thrown around, you're glad you're not a GM right now trying to figure out how to handle these free agents. I, I've said this before, man. I, I got to tell you, this, like it used to bother me a little bit, but you're like, okay, it's a cost of doing business. But the dollar amounts that are being tr- like three three sixty, like people talk about three hundred sixty million dollars for Judge, and and they don't even blink an eye anymore. And and Bogart signing for that's the one for and, me, Jim. That's oh the one that I was like, eleven years. We already don't know if he's a shortstop. <laughs> and you believe? I mean, uh, you know, listen. The one thing I'll say, you know, you guys see this too, but when. <laughs> When we would pay guys, you know, eight, nine, ten years, a lot of times at last two or three, you're like, yeah, I don't think he's going to really be productive that long. But it does allow you to, when you when you spread the money out, it's kind of like a deferred compensation mm-hmm. program. So I think you have, to, I think when you see these huge dollar amounts, you kind of have to look at it like that. Like, okay, they're valuing Bogarts, you know, a lot higher than most of us do, and maybe they're thinking first couple years he's going to be a forty million dollar player, and then as they as that ages, he's going to be a $20 million, whatever it is. It's still a lot of money, but it makes you feel, I guess, maybe a little better. Spread out that way. That's know. what helps you sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> whatever helps through it. Jim, I am uh, curious on the Cardinals side of things, talking Contreras and that signing and looking at it and saying that it looks like a good deal for St. Louis. The way we kind of measure it in St. Louis, as you would expect, is, okay, how are they compared to these top teams in the National League? Teams like Philly and yep. San Diego and the Dodgers and the Braves. Do you feel like a move like that for the Cardinals brings them closer to those teams? Um, I, I think that it does, you know, their balance. I like their balance. Uh, when you look at the lineup overall, I like, I like their, you know, a lot of this is going to come down to, you know, the, the pitching and the health of their pitching, especially Flaherty. 
in particular. Like, he matches up when he's healthy, as you guys have seen. He matches up with almost anyone's number one or top of the road type starter. If he's not healthy, it really becomes difficult for them because, as as we've all seen in the postseason, like you, you really have to have, you know, uh, not only really good top end of the rotation guys, but depth in the rotation, but also depth in the, in the bullpen. They have, I feel like they have it in the pen, but. But a lot of their rotation um, quality is going to, I think, be dependent on on clarity. And listen, the one thing that Mo and and, and Michael Gersh have done, they, they have done some. I, I give them kind of the the underrated trade award at the last two uh, mm-hmm. trade deadlines. You know, going out and getting starting pitchers, and you go, oh, you sit there and go, ah, that, yeah, but that's not a sexy trade or two, but it ends up working for them, right? And so. You know, I think that the the one thing they've always been able to do is evaluate where they're weakest and then go out and get, get you know, an, an upgrade. And maybe that's the area that they'll have to upgrade. Maybe maybe not. You know, I think the other key with them offensively is, you know, when does uh, Jordan Walker end up helping them at some point, right? Because I think he's going to be impact, you know, fairly soon. It sounds like he's pretty close, with you know, on their side of things. And, you know, how do you and when do you introduce him into into the lineup? I think that's going to be interesting. You know, when you get him hopefully on, on board, hopefully a healthy O'Neal, um, I like their offense, uh, you know, better than what I've seen, what we've seen over maybe the last year or two. We're talking with Jim Ducat, former Major League Baseball general manager, now with MLB Network Radio. And Jim, I wanted to get back to the pitching side of things that you were just talking about there, because that's something that the Cardinals have said, hey, now our focus is going to shift towards that. And we all kind of wondered, okay, does that that mean they're going to go for another starter? Does it mean they go for some bullpen arms? What does that look like down the stretch? As I look at what remains in free agency, I'd be pretty surprised if they extend to the likes of a Carlos Rodon. It's just that's not the kind of market that they typically swim in. But then after right. that, I mean, you're talking Nathan Avaldi, Michael Waka, Noah Syndergaard, Corey Kluber. Right. And I just don't know if those guys are legitimate upgrades from what they already have internally with their rotation. Where would you turn if you were in charge of this team mm-hmm. to be able to acquire that pitching that they appear to be looking for? Well, you know, and it's you're right. I, I, you know, I don't know if there's any other, you know, capable starter. I thought Bassett was an interesting guy for the dollar amount that he just signed for. Obviously, he signed in Toronto. I thought he would have been a good fit there in St. Louis. That's not that's not going to happen now. And I don't know, like you, like you said, I think, you know, when you look at their the the rotation, I think we got to look at it in two ways. First, is it an upgrade? You know, Matt didn't have a great year. I've seen a lot of Steven Matt when he was with the Mets. <clears throat> he's he's a lot better than what he showed. So hopefully he stays healthy. But you have like four the other four guys are gonna be free agents at the end of mm-hmm. this this season in twenty three. So so not only, you know, are you maybe upgrading, you know, your depth, but you're also having controllable, you know, uh, starting pitching going beyond twenty three. Uh, so I think that's one thing to consider. There's not I, I think the other thing, as we kind of look through some of the free agent uh, stuff and, you know, how expensive it is, there might be a trade out there that makes sense for them. You know, we always go to, to Miami. They have they have a, a pitching depth there, starting pitching depth. Now, I, I don't know. You know, they're looking for offense. It's kind of hard to move an offensive piece. But if you're looking at Walker at some point, you know, is Dylan Carlson a guy that they would have interest in that you could look at a, 
Pablo Lopez for Carlson. Like you start thinking about those type of trades, you go, yeah, that's not that far off. I don't know if there's any other starters that I would say, you know, and Lopez is a, you know, I'd say mid rotation type of guy. Um, but you control him for at least, uh, I think it's two more years this year, next mm-hmm. year. So I, you start to look at those type of trades out there. And I think we'll start to hear more uh, guys available here in the next, in the coming days. Now that we had this trade yesterday, I think that, that market's going to start to heat up again. Well, if I can throw one at you, Jim, or uh, in, in to get your thoughts on it, because um, sure. the name that just was in the rumor mill earlier today, uh, Jim Callis brought up on MLB Network of Max Fried potentially being moved out of Atlanta. Do you see a potential yeah. there? Or, and if you do see a potential, do you think that could be something the Cardinals get in on? So I, I saw the same thing you did. I, you know, and, and Jim, you know, he's a prospect guy. Uh, but he doesn't throw a lot of names like that out there just just for attention. Like he usually does that, and you go, "Oh wow, that that that's interesting." Now I had not heard his name previously, and I you know free just for some background for for your listeners. Like he's going to be, uh, he's not a, he's not a free agent next year. I think it's two years. Top rotation lefty. Like he he this if they decide to make him available. There's going to be a ton of teams interested in him. I do think the Cardinals would be in play. It's going to be a top, top, you know, as a as like Walker would have to be in play in that, like one of your top prospects. Plus, you know, and so that's what makes it difficult if you're an acquiring team. Um, Dodgers would be in on it. You know, usually if you don't have the quality, you got a mix of quality and quantity. They have, they still have a pretty strong system. So if they, if Atlanta makes them available, and they're, they're, they've been trying to extend him. And they haven't been able to, so that's where, a lot of times where this conversation starts. Um, I think Cardinals, I think Dodgers, those would be top two uh, in terms of uh, you know destination spots for him. But you know, I started asking around a little bit on that during actually during my show, and it sounded like it was really premature that he might even be available. So it's a name worth watching. I think over the next uh, couple of weeks for sure. Final follow-up on that, Jim, like if he did become available is something like a Mason win in Dylan Carlson. Is that, does that get you a conversation started with Atlanta? I, I think it would. Yeah. I think, you know, they're, they're obviously looking for, um, you know, from an outfield side of things, they could use an outfield, young outfield, uh, outfield. They're, 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 you know, I would look for them to try to find a, a you know, a young starter along that way too. Uh, their system's pretty, pretty strong. Might be one of those kind of major league for major league type of deal. So Carlson, you know, you know, it, they don't really have a starting pitcher that necessarily matches um, at the major league level. The, the Cardinals, because they're, you know, they're using them there. I, Maybe Montgomery that, in that scenario, Jim, just because you're replacing a lefty and you, you don't necessarily need Montgomery at that point. At that point, you're right. He wouldn't fit. You know, it would have to be kind of a larger type of deal. Yeah. You know, and maybe like you said, like a Montgomery and a Win and a and a Carlson. You could maybe see something like that. You know, I think um, at least it gets the conversation rolling. You know, on that side of things. I think. I think if I'm Atlanta, I'm looking for for more uh, in terms of impact because it's Max. You know, Max Fried's like one of the top 
top lefties in the sport right now. Interesting. Hey, Jim, we appreciate the time as always, man. We enjoy your show you on, over on MLB Network Radio. We'll be listening and we'll be paying attention over on Twitter at Jim underscore Duquette. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Talk Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. It's Jim Duquette, one of the best in the business. Always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. Somebody on the text line from the 573. Guys, is he out of his mind? Walker in a trade for Freed? Well, this is crazy talk. Buster only just tweeted, the Braves are trying to win in the immediate future. To that end, they aren't entertaining in a trade of their ace, Max Freed. All right. So Thanks, Buster. Go ahead. Son of a... Hey, you know what I'm really happy about, guys? We got 20 minutes out of that conversation. We got <laughs> the first hour out of it. That's fantastic. <laughs> so there you go. The Thanks, Braves Buster. are trying to win. To that end, they're not entertaining any trade. That's why I was so skeptical when they first brought it up, because it's like, if you're Atlanta, you're trying to win another World Series. I'm going to at least get one. I'm going to squeeze at least one more year out of this lemon. I, I mean, the, the way that I could see it working for them, like, what if the Cardinals said, you know what, we'll give you Jack Flaherty? In this con, in this trade, but I feel like they're losing in that trade. Maybe, but maybe they feel like they could potentially re-sign Jack Flaherty. And, and so I think Jim is right, Jim Duquette, with what he was saying. I think Jack's going to be more expensive than Freed. Oh, I don't. I, I think Ma- Jack, Max well, Freed was re- like a Cy let, Young candidate each of the last two years and has been healthy. Let me rephrase that. I think Jack Flaherty thinks he's going to get more money than Max Freed. He's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think but he's just I, crazy. If he well, I agree, I think but Max I think Freed he, next year will be looking for whatever whatever you see from Carlos Rodon. I think Max Freed will get more. I just think Jack Flaherty is going to be going into it saying, I'm going to get paid top dollar. And that's he's going to put himself out of that market to re-sign with either Cardinals or Braves, which is why I don't Maybe. know if Atlanta would even want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I think that he's just wrong. Like, if he believes that, I, I think he's just wrong. He's not going to get end up getting more, most likely, than than Max Freed. Um, but the reason why I bring Flaherty up is because, like you guys said, they've this is their front-end starter. They're trying to win. Why would they trade him now? Well, because they might not think that they can resign him. This is the time where you sell high on a guy like that. And if you were able to get a guy like a Jack Flaherty in return, now you have that upside in that package. And it's not just, you're not doing a one-for-one one of Jack Flaherty for Max Freed. This is why I was saying I think it's crazy to for anybody to believe that Flaherty is going to get more or even approaching what Freed is going to get. It's because Flaherty doesn't have the same trade value right now. You'd have right. to go like Flaherty plus Carlson plus win or something like right. that. So they would be trading it not just for Flaherty, but for the other assets. I mean, you're getting a potential controllable guy that a year ago we all thought had all-star upside and then maybe an all-star caliber catcher as well the best infield arm in all of baseball so that's the kind of thing that they would potentially try to do there but obviously that's not going to end up yep. doing buster just peed in your cheerios sure did sure don't appreciate did. that's buster i was gonna eat that well max freed was interesting for about 50 minutes back to shane bieber coming up in 15 minutes what did the blues do yesterday or over the last two games really to fix their penalty kill. Alex has some thoughts. He'll share them with you coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon <laughs> Jesus. Can we take people behind the curtain on this one again? Took a little bit yeah. of a late bite on my granola bar. BK, BK, 30 seconds before. 
Uh, Tivo, how much time we got left? Because I'd like to take another bite. Get back on the air, finishes his bite, swigs a, a big chug of water. It's real professional, man. This is what I'm here for. Nobody's going to be surprised. I had an oat bite. That was my By the uh, way, you eat snack. so slow. <laughs> so slow. I couldn't believe you it were It should not take that you that long to eat a granola bar. Not only a granola bar, it's an, it's an oat bite. Oh, God. It's Apple not even a bar. It's bite. a bite. No. All right. 65780 right, for service text line for better or forget it. Is there soy in that? Uh, no, just oats. Just full of rolled oats. <laughs> From the 314. <laughs> Guys, better to forget it. Lars Taylor, Tatsui Newt Bar, hits 300 this year. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Next question. Moving on. How many players hit 300 last year? Let's 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 play a quick game with oh, you guys. I'll, guess, I'll, I'll say guess. under five. Oh, Among qualified hitters. Uh, oh, well, if you throw that caveat in. Under five. I think I'd go under five, too. I'm surprised by this. 11. There were 11 players that hit Good above thing I said over five. Uh, Jeff McNeil, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Luis Arise, Aaron Judge, Xander Bogarts. He was available. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, $280 million over 11 years. My God. Jose Abreu, Andrew Benintendi, uh, Nathaniel Lau, and Jose Altuve. Those were your 11 players that hit over 300 last year. Out. Bet it. Wait, forget it. Are we sure? 65780 is your comfort service X line. Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will sign a reunion with one of Matt Carpenter or Michael Walker. I think at this point I'm out on this yeah. because they didn't no, trade any other it. lefty bets. So forget it. Yeah, I'm going to forget this. Damn it, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna forget I get it. yelled at because you don't know the segment. Come on, man. I'm forgetting it. None of those make sense. Yeah, I'm forgetting it too. Didn't trade any your left handed bats, and Walker just doesn't fit what they're no. looking for. I think Walker is going to go be a starter somewhere. And he's not he's not the swing he won't be a swing man. If this was like coming off of I can't remember, was it Tampa Bay, where he kind of served as a swing man as an opener slash starter, then maybe there'd be interest in the Cardinals, but after having a really good year as a starter, he's gonna go look for a starting position. So yeah, I'm yeah. out. You're just not overtaking anybody in your rotation now as Michael Waka. So guys, better to forget it. The blues are back above five hundred by Christmas. What's today? December so 13th? Got, Forget got it. Two weeks, basically. So they got Edmonton, Calgary, loss, Seattle, loss, Vancouver, loss, Vegas. So loss. you got five games in what you're sitting three games two below. games below. Right now. I'll bet this one. Or three games below. Excuse me. Yeah, I'll bet this one. No, two games below. ESPN's wrong here. That's weird. You want to you want to like do your BK build up or I'm something sorry, and get this. to the it, proper answer? The, their schedule shows they're 12, 15 and one on Sunday and then again on Monday. Well, no, I'm telling you, you're right, but ESPN screwed it up. Well, but don't look at ESPN's website. Look okay. at my handy-dandy notebook. It's their 13-5-1. I'm going to forget this. Tanner? Oh, I'm forgetting this by a long shot. I, I think they go below 500 on this road trip. I, I, I'll bet this one. I think they go 3-2 and two on this road trip. I think you, I think you can beat Calgary. Last night really did a number on you, didn't it? No. I, I mean, I'm not like all aboard the Stanley Cup championship bus right now, and I'm not all aboard the panic bus. The you just think they're going to have a winning record against five winning teams? Five winning teams. Calgary's like, what, two games above 500? Edmonton's like one game above 500. Both of those teams suck at goaltending right now. And then it comes down to, can you beat one of Seattle or Vegas? Maybe. And I think you could probably take one of those games. So I'll bet this one. They're going to break your achy, breaky heart. No, because you know what? I've learned to not let them break my heart anymore. I don't uh, I don't put it on my sleeve. From the 636, guys, better to forget it. Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly will both be gone by the trade deadline. I'll bet this one. 
Uh, nope, I'm going to rescind my own answer. I'm forgetting this one. I think Vladdy and Barbashev would be gone, and I think they might keep O'Reilly. I wonder if they look at it and say, we can't get what we feel like we can or what we should get for Ryan O'Reilly, and we feel like we got a shot still to resign him. Because remember, he or Doug Armstrong said, I forgot which side said it, they said they'd go back to the table around January and talk about the contract extension. So I'm going to forget this one. I think Vladdy more than likely, and I think Barbashev might be the other one. I think I'm going to bet this because I, I do think Vladdy's dealt at the deadline, and if they don't turn it around, I, I think you sell O'Reilly because I think someone would be willing to pay the price to get a top-line, second-line centerman and Ryan O'Reilly, guy that can play good defense once you get into the playoffs, be part of a shutdown line. I think someone would be willing to pay that price that's a playoff team, so I, I'm going to bet this. I think both guys will be dealt at the deadline if they don't turn this around. I'm going to bet this, and I will throw Barbie in there for good measure. I'll like throw Achari in there for good measure. Man, that's the one that's going to be tough. You're not I moving Achari. You're I not moving sell, Achari. I could not tell you how much. All you're going to get for Achari is like a fourth-round pick. I would take it. No Selling high. No way. Selling I'm bringing Achari, Achari back. I think you do one of two things. I think you offer a contract to him, and if he says no, then I think you trade him. Yeah. And I, I think he I think he would accept the trade if you are the off, offer. Yeah, if he, he would accept the trade. I mean, you, you bring him back at the same contract and maybe give him an extra year. I, I mean, I don't know why you'd move on from him. You're not going to gain anything of value compared to if you could just keep him on your team for next season. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Guys, Bet It or Forget It, one of Miles Michaelis or Jordan Montgomery will be signed to an extension by the end of spring training. I'll bet this one. Spring training is the time of year that John Mozalock feels like Santa Claus, where it's, it's handsome. Let's hand some gifts out and somebody's going to get that extension and you've got to have somebody other than Steven Matz in your rotation next season. I still believe it'll be Jordan Montgomery, but I think one of those two will. So I'll bet it. If I told you it was $21 million per year on a three-year deal, are you giving that to Jordan Montgomery? Because I think that's the Chris Bassett deal you saw yesterday. I think that's probably what Montgomery's looking for. And I think the Taiwan Walker deal is what Michaelis is looking for, which is about $18 million. I wouldn't, but if that's the market, sounds like somebody's going to be getting it. I'd rather give it to Montgomery than Michaelis. I think I would bet this too, but I would go towards the side of Michaelis. I, I think the Cardinals know what they have in Michaelis. There's more familiarity there. I think it's going to be easier to negotiate a deal with him. So I think they'll look at the Michaelis one. Montgomery being a Boris client, he's probably going to want to go to free agency would be my guess. And I, I'm just not sure the Cardinals want to give him $21 million yet to be back. I think they'd like the $18 million for two, three years on Miles Michaelis. I think that's the side that I would go with as well. And Michaelis brings all of the off-field stuff that the Cardinals care about as well. Good like, mustache. <laughs> great great guy. You're, you're basically passing the torch from Wayno to Michaelis as being the, kind of the, the leader of that pitching staff. And having that guy signed up for at least the next couple of years, I, I do think is meaningful. So then you would go into the 2023 season knowing, or 2024, I suppose, Michaelis and Mats are at least going to be a part of your rotation. And then you kind of kind of piece things together from there. Hopefully at that point, one of the young guys is ready to go in your rotation. And now you've really just got two spots available. I think that's doable. When you have four spots available, that's where things get really dicey for them. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next... What changed for the Blues with their penalty kill? Seven for seven on the PK over the last two games. There was a personnel change that I think seems notable. There's also some stuff with what they're doing schematically that seems noteworthy. Alex will explain that side of things coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
our penalty kills improved, but knock on wood, uh, you know, we've been able to work on it the past few few days of practice, which has seemed to have helped out. But um, yeah, I mean, it's something we're going to have to keep working on. It, it's made some strides, but we got to get a little heavier and, and a little quicker, get some more numbers around the puck. But uh, tonight uh, on a back-to-back -back against the rest of the team, uh, we did a pretty good job. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Mike Van Ryn, the Blues defenseman coach, yesterday on with Joey and Curbs after the game. Alex, he's right. The penalty kill has been much improved over the last couple of games. Blues 7 for 7 on the PK in that stretch. And they have changed some things. Like, it's not just personnel, but also some schematics. But I do think the personnel changes are noteworthy. Alexei Torpchenko came back last night, was immediately a part of the penalty kill unit. Ivan Barbashev, after being one of the guys that did not spend much time on the PK for the vast majority of the season, has spent six minutes on the PK over the last two games. Brandon Saad, another guy that had 12 minutes prior to the last two games combined on the penalty kill this season, has spent about six and a half minutes on the PK over the last two games. Essentially 50% of his PK time, it's come over the last two games. That's noteworthy along with the removal of Robert Thomas from the PK. He's not been a part of it, really, over the last two games. He was one of their top penalty killers prior to that. It went, in terms of the forwards, O'Reilly, Achari, and then Thomas. He's now off of the unit entirely over the last two games. That's the personnel stuff that I can see that has clearly changed. There are clear changes that have taken place. Have you seen something else when you're watching, Alex, that the eye test has changed as well? Well, just real quick on, on your personnel, it's spot on because I was going to bring Brandon Saad up, and I think he's probably the biggest notable one because coming into the last two games, he was averaging 36 seconds on power play time or shorthanded time per game. I mean, you're basically talking about him coming on the ice at the end of a penalty kill or when the goal's already gone in, but he's also mustered up two shots, so he creates more puck possession kind of like Pavel Buchnevich does when he's on the ice for penalty kill mm -hmm. but you are seeing something team wise that I feel like is very notable in how they've switched that scheme they were playing in the first portion of the season a very one-dimensional kind of stay at home penalty kill where they were kind of forming a box around the front of the goaltender and they were limiting those crease passes in front of the goaltender problem was you were still getting those point shots you were getting guys getting beat in front of the net and you were getting the backdoor tap-ins on the power play this one, they are just more aggressive. If you watch the last couple of games, what they do is it's board, it's puck support, it's board play. So last night I thought was a perfect example. A puck would go behind the net on Jordan Bennington. The defenseman and the forward would both push towards that puck. Now you're taking a chance because if that squirts out, you got two guys on one player who you're going to have an odd man situation on the other side of the ice. But the back two players push towards that puck also to kind of clog that front of it. But the puck support on that on that uh, board play comes with one guy pressuring, and as soon as it comes out, Nola Chari standing right there to, to whiz it down the ice. And Craig Berube has mentioned the reason the penalty kill was struggling is because you've got indecisive play by some of these players, and you've got guys who have the inability to get the puck out of the zone cleanly. There's none of this clearing up the middle of the ice and trying to get it down. It's slap shot around the board so that somebody's going to have to fight to keep that in the zone so you can get a clean change on the ice. It's commitment to that type of play that's being more aggressive right now, and it's blocking shots. It's not being this in-between, this tentativeness that Craig Brewery's talked about of, oh, is he going to shoot it? Should I get down and block it? That's going to lead to tips that go past your goaltender, or it's going to lead to you screening the goaltender. 
Last night, Colorado game, guys were just diving in front of shots no matter what. I think they had 14 block shots in the game last night, and they had 13 against the Nashville Predators. And I believe over 50% of those block shots were on the penalty kill on both sides. So commitment and and the inability to be tentative, according to Craig Berube, I think is part of the aggressiveness with this penalty kill. And when you're aggressive, you're catching teams off guard, which is why they've had success. So... Now the question is, what does it mean big picture, right? Because this was arguably their biggest issue prior to the last couple of games was the penalty kill. They were just allowing way too much offense for opposing power plays. They they could not figure out a way to keep the puck out of their net, and it was leading to them getting into bad spots. Now, they weren't taking a lot of penalties, but when they were, it, it was it was really bad for them. If that's sustainable, and I don't know that it is, maybe it's two-game blip, but if this is real and their penalty kill is quote-unquote fixed, even if it's merely average and just not the worst in the NHL and one of the worst in the history of the NHL, Alex, suddenly you do start looking, and I, I hate bringing this up, but you do start looking at what they did in 2019 and the turnaround that they had. At this point in 2019, they were 11, 14, and 4 on the season. Oh, so right now, kind of similar where they are right now. You're 13, 15, and 1 on the season. So, you're not all that far off when it comes to the record. In 2019, I looked this up yesterday, you were 25th in goals per game and 27th in goals against per game. So, you're bottom 7 ish in both categories. This year, so far, 23rd in goals for per game and 29th in goals allowed per game. So again, you're kind of in that same range. You were right around middle of the pack in 2019 in both power play and penalty kill. Right now you're towards the bottom and penalty kill, but you're in the middle of the pack in the power play side of things. The difference between now and then is the underlying numbers. The underlying numbers in 2019, you look at the Corsi ratings, the expected goals, the high danger chances for all of that, the stuff of, okay, we're playing poorly, but is there reason to believe that this is going to change around? Kind of like in in for the Cardinals during the regular season, it was like, man, their expected batting average and expected slugging percentage is really high, but they're not meeting those expectations right now. Okay, can, is there reason to believe that that's going to change? Sometimes the answer is yes. In 2019, the answer was yes. They had reason to believe in the core, reason to believe that things were going to change around. This year, that doesn't exist yet. Now, that could change. Maybe they start playing better. They start generating more offense. And when, for example, Pavel Bushnevich gets back, you've got Torpchenko right now. Maybe that changes the complexion of your top nine and everything kind of fits into place and the offense gets going. Alex, do you think they have that in them? Do you think they still have, even if it's not a Stanley Cup run, just a run, something similar to 2019 where you say, all right, they felt dead but now they have a chance to get themselves back into this thing. I think they have a run in them, mostly because the Western Conference hasn't run away from it. And all you're talking about is stringing a few games together, and I think the penalty kill plays into this. It's confidence builder. You build up some confidence in one area of your game. You start to play better in other areas. You get a taste of what success looks like in terms of you weren't turning the puck over a lot last night. You had the puck support from the forwards. It, it, you know that you're, you're good on the goaltending side of things. So you can check that off the list. You got to tighten up defensively, and they did it last night. Was it a one-off? We'll have to wait to find out in this upcoming road trip. Offensively, I, I don't know if they have the same offense that they've had in years past that can sit there and back up and saying, yeah, they got a run in them. And you can't win a majority of these final 40-something, 50-something games by 2-1 deficits. You don't have the team built yeah. for that. I think they got a run in them. I think they're they still have the potential of being a playoff team, but I don't think they have 
Stanley Cup championship labels on them. And that's where the conversation gets really hard. Like, comparing anything to 2019, it all comes back to, okay, what'd they do in the playoffs? Like, I'm talking more about the regular season portion of things. Before they got into the playoffs, before they had that magical run. I don't even know if they have an 11-game win streak in them like they had in that 2019. But I think they've got a run in them where they can win 5 of 7, 8 of 10. Like, I think they could go on a little bit of a run. Yeah, I think they could go on a little bit of a run and probably build some confidence up. But I don't think we're looking at a team that's going to go from bottom in the Western Conference to first place in the Central Division. I don't see that in them because they do have some faults just in terms of how they play. And we've seen this before where they look good and then it disappears. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I am. Can, can I see them going on a run? Yeah, but I think it's like a run to get like into the wild card picture or like third in the Central. I I don't think they have a run to where they can be one of the best teams going into the playoffs. Like, I, I look at the defense. The defense isn't close to what it was in 19 where they could shut down opponents. Now now it's just too loose, in my opinion. And to me, if you're going to be loose defensively, how are you going to be able to make up for that? Well, one, your goaltending, which we've seen Bennington can do that, but also it may lead to games where you have to be able to win them 5-4. to four. And the Blues offense just isn't there. It's not where it was in 19. It's not what it was last year where it had a bunch of 20-goal scores. So... Can they make a run? Maybe. I'm, I'm skeptical of that. But it, but when I say make a run, I'm not saying make a deep like postseason run or make a run to become first in the Central like you're saying. I'm saying like what I thought going into the season, where it was, yeah, I think they're a wild card team. And I, I think that's what their run would be. Uh, the problem for them is I think their their president of hockey operations already has made his mind up. And it's going to be really difficult to change his mind of this is a team that we don't mess with. Just let it run. Because I think Doug's looking at this and saying – This is a team that's going to get bounced in the first round. And believe it or not, maybe they find a way to get through that. I think your GM is viewing it that way. And you're going to have to have a significant turnaround within the next 15 to 20 games for him to change his mind and say, all right, you know what? I'm going to leave it as is, or I'm going to make some type of trade and bring something in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is an interesting point. From the three one four guys, you're saying that the offense isn't isn't what it was, but it is basically the same offense as it was in 2019 minus David Perron. Come on, the offense can get back on track. It's the defense that is the problem. Here's what I think is interesting about this, Alex. There is some truth to that uh, that notion, right? Like now they don't have Oscar Sundquist, who was a really good player for that 2019. They don't have that version of Tyler Bozak, who again was a good player, but you kind of have that type of a player in Achari. Like that's kind of the one for one replacement there for don't one of those Steen. two. Yeah, you don't have Steen. That's the bigger one. But Steen offensively didn't do much for you that year. I yeah. mean, he had been relegated, you don't especially have, during the regular season. You don't have Maroon from that second half because the second half Maroon turned it on. Yeah, but again, he, he finished with 10 goals. But what I'm saying here is the reason why I think that that is a little bit of a faulty argument is because the NHL in general offenses are different than they were in 2019. Scoring is up at historic rates. It's up over six goals per game right now in the NHL. If you if you combine both teams, like the total point margins in 2019, it was like a full goal fewer per game on average. So, yeah, the, the Blues offense does have a lot of the same pieces as it was in 2019. Here's the problem. That's not enough anymore. Now you got to be better. Because the rest of the league has improved by so much. The rules have changed in a way. The the game is being played in a way. Where scoring the way that the Blues did in 2019 might not be enough anymore. Now you got to be better than that. Especially when you're not just combining the fact that the offense is what it was in 2019 in a lot of ways. You're also looking at the defense being worse. So your defense has gotten worse. Your goaltending's not as good as it was that year. And that's not a shot at Jordan Bennington. He was on a historic pace in the second half of 2019. And your offense is, at best, stagnant, 
Well, yeah, that's not the that's not the recipe for success. So my answer to this is: Do they have a run like they did in 2019 in them? My answer is still no. I hope that I'm wrong. I would love nothing more than to sit here in March and say, can you guys believe what we were saying about this stupid team back in December when we were all out on them? Well, I don't think we'd be calling them stupid at that time. And, and I, I just don't I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I, again, hope that I'm wrong, but I don't think this team has the scoring to be able to make up for its, its defensive issues. And, and I think that's going to be the story of the season. And to your point of, you know, maybe Doug Armstrong's already made up his mind. I, I think the best run that they can put in into the season now and to at least quote-unquote change the mind of Doug Armstrong is to instead of completely blow it up to just partially do it to where it is the year like they did with Paul Stasny where it was, yeah, okay, we might be in the playoffs. Sure, we'd love to be in the playoffs, but it, it's better off for me to get some assets in return for, for Paul Stasny. And when I say that, I'm talking like probably Vladdy. Like if the, if they're, if this team kind of changes his mind, I think it's instead of selling off Vladdy, O'Reilly, potentially Barbie, potentially Achari, I, I think he goes from, okay, you guys played well enough, I'll just look to move Vlad. He's not yeah. going to be here next year. We already basically know that. Let's just make this one we'll trade. We can get some assets. We'll keep the team in place. We'll see if we sneak in and go on a little bit of a run. But I, I don't think they can change the mind of Army enough to where he goes, yeah, let's add to this team. Well, I just don't think he can. That's they can. the difference between a retool and a rebuild. I mean, if you show signs of like, look, this team is good. It's just not going to get it done this year. Then you say, you know, we could retool this. We could switch this around and we move some pieces around and put a competent team on the ice next season. And we're talking talking about another Stanley Cup window for them. But if you look at it and you say, no, if this team goes on another seven games, eight game losing streak, you say, no, we got to blow this up. I mean, let's not forget Elliot Friedman did this or reported on this on the 32 thoughts podcast about a month ago, like Doug Armstrong in 2019 called everybody in December and basically said, we got a fire sale boys. Everybody is out on our team. And it took an 11 game win streak for them to change the mind of Doug Armstrong to say, no, we're just going to keep it as is. Do I don't what, see eleven game win streak coming in for this team this season. Do you know what the Blues record was when they traded Paul Stastny? You guys remember? I, I don't remember what the record was, but I remember they were only like five points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, I don't remember what the record was. I know they were close. They were like five points out of a wild card spot. Thirty four, twenty six, and four. Yeah. Thirty four, twenty six, and four. But Doug looked at it, so and I remember four games above five hundred. And I remember that press conference. Doug looked at it and said, "We feel that we have a good enough team." Not a good enough team to go on a run. And that's why we made this move. Hopefully this move will spark our team to continue their play and get into the playoffs. But we need to keep our eyes on the future. He's thinking the same thing this season right now. And I, I don't know if it's so much the record for me when I think that, but I think it's kind of the, it's the eye point test. of what you're saying. Well, the eye test, but also like the points wise. Like when you, we look at the Western Conference, without the Western Conference, it can be a little bit better than this, especially the, the Central. And nobody's really played up to those expectations. Everybody's still, everybody, we've talked about this in the past, has kind of been playing below expectations and it's allowing the Blues to still remain afloat. I think that's the way it ends up being where he, Army can look at this and go, yeah, nobody's really running away with this, but I, I can't, it's tough for me to really say we're going to take that next step. So let's move a piece, get in an order asset, and try that. for them to get this year to where they were in 2018 when they made that Stastny trade. And that's when they decided the team wasn't good enough. They would have to go 22 11 and three. <laughs> Here's the other thing, too. Do you guys see that? Yeah. No. Oh, no, I don't see that. But you also, Colorado and Nashville have three games in hand on you. That's potentially six points right there. You're talking about, uh, what would that be? That'd be nine points behind Colorado and six points behind Nashville. Minnesota's got a game in hand on you, and Winnipeg's got two games in hand on you. So it looks like it's close now, 
But when those games in hand gets picked back up, you're talking about a little bit wider of a deficit. Which yeah, is why I go by points percentage, not mm-hmm. the actual points that have been played so far this season. I mean, the, by points percentage, the the Blues' closest comps are Ottawa, Buffalo, and Philly. Yeah, they're just in front of Arizona in the Western Conference. Like, <laughs> it's gonna it would take an 11 game win streak, I think, for Doug to look at this team and say, you know what, they got something here. We'll let it be. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, but next, the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. We're going to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford coming up here in just a minute. Alex, what do you got for us today? So you two are baseball nerds, right? I would say so. I I like to picture my uh, BK and Tanner sitting at home on a Friday night, not doing anything other than just sitting on baseball reference, right? That's kind of my thing. Well, baseball reference is doing their year end review of their hits on their website. Okay. I got a top 10 list for you boys. (laughs) I got a top 10 list of the top 10 players, their page views of 2022. This is a Ferrari 5 plus 5. Oh my god. Dream come true. All right, what do you got for us? Oh no, you guys guess. I'm not we don't do have this. time for that. What do you got for us? This just ruins a whole stupid yeah, junk drawer. Yeah, became ruined in a junk drawer. What else is new? Time management. So Joey Gallo is number 10. Justin Verlander is 9. Joey Gallo is exclusively being viewed here in St. Louis. Yeah. That uh, was no. Cardinals fans looking at it, seeing that he had an under 200 career average and saying, <laughs> no. No. Which is wild because I'm looking at like the map of the U.S. to find out where Joey Gallo was being viewed. He wasn't viewed anywhere specifically. Uh, Justin Verlander, Miguel Cabrera, Bryce Harper, Barry Bonds. Must have been around the Hall of Fame time. I bet you that was around the Aaron Judge thing. Juan Soto. Which Juan Soto, I would have just assumed was in. But I would have assumed it was in Missouri. And once again, no. San Diego? Uh, No. No places. Which okay. is, I'm telling you, this map is very strange. I would assume that Albert's up here, there Mike somewhere. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. <laughs> Mike Trout was again in St. Louis when he had the back yep. issues. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani, probably in St. Louis for people. You guys want to guess number one and two, or do we still not have time for I that? Think, I think Albert's one. Albert's got to be up there. Albert's one. I'm trying to think who would be two. Is it? Did you say Judge already? Nope. Judge. Judge, judge has, has to be up there. It has to be Judge. Who do you I'm think? surprised Paul Goldschmidt's not on this list. No, he wasn't on this list, at least in the top ten for this Who'd one. Who'd you say was ten? Joey Gallo. See, I'm shocked that he didn't make the list over like Joey Gallo. Yeah. yeah. So you go through the they got the map of like it's probably because Yankees fans. Whenever he got there, the most player page views by state. I can't even do this quick math for you, but I would say probably 25 of the states are Albert Pujols' views. No, there's like 52, isn't there? It's like 52. T-Bone, you got a map on your wall. What was Missouri's? Missouri was Albert Pujols. Okay, that makes sense. But like, seriously, look at this map, BK. Everything from the Midwest to the West is all Albert Pujols, and then everything in the East is Aaron Judge. Freddie Freeman randomly in uh, New Mexico. Barry Bonds randomly in... Wyoming? I think that's Wyoming. And then uh, Dylan Moore is from Hawaii. That's that's, that's who Hawaii was looking at. George Brett in Alaska. (laughs) Stan Usual in Colorado. That's interesting. Uh, Matt oh. Olson. Oh, and then this is the best one. In, in good old Mississippi. This is the best one. I, well, he's I, from there, I think, right? Oh, is he? I quizzed, I so. uh, I quizzed BK on this earlier. You got any idea on Rhode Island, BK? 
Or T-Bone? I'm looking at T-Bone. Rhode Island. It's black and white. You don't know the gentleman. His name is Pete Browning, and he played in 1882. What the hell? That's what Rhode Island's Search. looking at. <laughs> baseball players on baseball like reference. Only one person look up baseball <laughs> reference in Rhode Island? Island. Oh, in Rhode Island. 2022. <laughs> Rhode Island, great spot. I went there on my vacation. Yeah, no. Your 50 plus vacation yeah. days that you went get. There, went there on vacation. Well, well worth a trip. Well worth it. I, I would not read the BK's travel book if that's what you're talking about writing. Jeremy Rutherford joins us next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We're talking about the Brewers making a deal yesterday that nobody saw coming for them. And somehow the Sean Murphy deal did not include Sean Murphy going to the Brewers. And yet the Brewers won the trade. We'll discuss that coming up in 10 minutes. But right now we're going out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line to discuss the Blues win last night. Seven for seven on the penalty kill over the the last two games. The Blues are coming. Jeremy Rutherford joins us now. You can read his work over at The Athletic. Had a great column earlier today. You can also follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, what's good? Oh, not too much. Hey, quick funny story from uh, last night, BK. Uh, you know, people know that uh, you guys reach out on Monday night to see what time I can join you on Tuesday. And so last night you texted me a couple times and said, how's 1 o'clock? And I said, I said, that's fine. Well, a little while later, I was trading texts with Braden Chen because he wasn't made available after the game. He didn't have his voice. He's sick. And so just trying to make sure I understood what happened down there when a stick was broken. So we exchange a couple texts. All of a sudden I get a text. I look down and it, it says, uh, gave you something good to, to write about and talk about finally. Well, I thought it was still Shen because we had been going back and mm-hmm. forth. So I, so I say, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Look down. I sent it to you. So that text you got last night that said, thanks for that. That was meant to go to, uh, no, I understood. It was because I picked against the Blues yesterday. They end up winning. So, of course, I was the one that gave you something good to write yeah, about. Jared. I understood. Yeah. You, you understand that no pleasantries are supposed to be sent to BK. It's just one word answers and that's it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But nonetheless, we do have something good to talk about finally. JR, let's start with the PK because I think that's really the story over the last couple of games. It was historically bad for the vast majority of the season, seven for seven over the last two games. There's been some personnel changes on it. There's been some schematic changes on it. What have you seen that has led to their recent success? Yeah, I've seen a number of things, a number of things. And and yeah, we, we do have to mention small sample size. This unit has been bad for a while. When you start talking, you know, 56, 57 percent, uh, obviously, a couple games is not going to change that. But what we've seen, and, and Mike Van Ryan said it in the soundbite earlier, they've had a couple days to practice it, and uh, they've made some changes not only schematically but also with the personnel. Schematically, I think a couple things, uh, being more aggressive, tightening things up. And the one thing that Craig Bruby said, Alex touched on earlier, is when you make a decision, follow through with it. If you're going in the corner, that's great. Uh, but if you decide to do it, get out there and do it. So when I was watching the PK last night, I, I think that they were doing a, a much better job of that. They're being more physical. Uh, but also look at the personnel up top. Pavel Buchnevich is out. He's part of that main pairing with Ryan O'Reilly, so they've had to mix some things around. Achari is up with uh, Ryan O'Reilly. But in that second pair, they had Robert Thomas. They had Nathan Walker when he's in the lineup. They switched it. It's been Brandon Saad. It's been Ivan Barbashev. And I think they've been good, really aggressive. You saw Barbashev last night. 
And then I tweeted earlier about Brandon Saad, uh, two shots on goal on the uh, penalty kill. Of course, he scored that shorty the other night against Colorado. So it's given the Blues a different element. So, JR, on the defensive side of things, you know, we left the Colorado Avalanche game thinking, okay, good game, but you still couldn't get it done. You got beat in front of your own net, which has kind of been the narrative of this team. They cleaned that up and I think have a good game against Nashville last night in front of their own net. Is that sustainable, I guess, is the biggest question because the the few guys that we've talked a lot about this season that have been getting beat are the guys that play the most minutes on the ice for you. Yeah, it's a good question. I want to see more if we're going to commit to the idea that the Blues are suddenly going to be physical because uh, it's just been too long, and the, the reputation of these players is that's not who they are. Last night, a little out of character to see Colton Preco kind of cross-check a guy into the boards. He gets the penalty there, but I got to tell you, the reaction I got from most fans was, who cares, glad to see it, let's see more of it. <laughs> and, and so uh, will we see that against Edmonton Thursday night? You know, we'll see. That's not his M.O., but... If that's what the coaches are preaching and that's what they're picking up on, uh, we'll see. But definitely the Mikula play, even though he gets a penalty there, uh, you're clearing out the front of the net. That's what they need more of, uh, but I definitely want to see more of that before uh, before we pat them on the back. JR, it, when you look at what they decided to do yesterday with Jordan Bennington, starting him in back-to-back games, you were able to speak with Benner, and you had a really good piece on him last week uh, after Grice got that start against Winnipeg. What do you think the statement was there that the Blues were making by giving Bennington the back-to-back game? I think that was the first time they've done that this season. Yeah, kind of multifaceted, I think. I I think that uh, Thomas Grace, his last outing, did not look good. I don't think he would have kind of run with the job, but I think had he played well uh, in his last game, Winnipeg, uh, maybe you know he gets one of these starts in the the back-to-back. Didn't play well, a couple short side goals. And then Jordan Bennington, yeah, I had a chance to speak with him the other day, and he said, this is the NHL. This has taken us three months to get going. Let's go. Let's go. And I think that, you know, that type of guy, that type of attitude, you want him in net. And then he played really well against uh, Colorado. You know, nothing really he could do on those goals. Craig Bruby said yesterday, we talked to him. He felt good. We felt that he played well. And uh, so we were going to go with him. And I think, you know, as we've been saying all along, if the Blues are going to win or make any noise, it's got to be Jordan Bennington doing it, and uh, we've seen that the past couple nights. Jer, uh, we talked with Ray Ferraro yesterday, and he said that you know you can always compete for a playoff spot if you're close, but he said usually about 50, 55 games in is when general managers start to look at their team and say, okay, but are you anything more than just a playoff team? Do you feel like Doug has his decision already made in that aspect, or can something change that for him? I think that Doug has a really, 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 really good uh, feeling what he wants to do and what he'd like to accomplish. But, you know, as you guys have touched on today, and, you know, we all know the backstory on 2018-19, you got to be willing to adjust if things do change. I don't necessarily see them changing, uh, but uh, I was listening to Tom Stone and the Blues owner on the uh, Bally's uh, feed last night, and it's interesting. I go back to 2018-19. It's December and uh, he was being interviewed by uh, Bernie Miklas, M- Michelle Smallman, and he said, I still believe in this group. And I remember driving down the road thinking, you know, what is he thinking? Like, you know, this, this group doesn't have a chance. And, and so he was saying the same thing last night. So who were we to, to say that, uh, you know, it's wrong to have belief in, in this team? I don't see it. I, I think that, uh, you know, they can put together a good stretch, but I'm with you, Alex. I don't know that that changes the mind of, of Doug Armstrong unless it's just completely overwhelming. So, uh, I, I think that his mind is probably leaning towards making some moves. And when the time is right and these moves are able to be made with teams that are ready and willing, that uh, we'll probably see some of that. 
JR, final question that I've got for you. This is a guy that we've talked about a decent amount over the last couple of weeks because of how well he's played, and that's Nola Chari. When the Blues decide to make those moves, what do you think the plan is likely to be with Achari? Do you think it's more likely that he's a guy that maybe they try to keep around via extension, or do they try to get something for him via a trade if that ends up being the direction that things go? If I know Doug Armstrong, he he wants Noel Achari around, and I think that uh, whatever this looks like moving forward for the St. Louis Blues, uh, you'd hope that he'd want to be a part of it. And and you might think to yourself, you know, why would Achari want to stick around? If the Blues aren't a playoff team, maybe he wouldn't want to go somewhere else. He's going to be a free agent. You know, he could sign somewhere else uh, next year. Uh, but I think that uh, sometimes players, they get to a point where they, they like where they're at. They like their role. They like the coaching staff. You know, if Craig Bruby, you know he's going to be here. If you're, you're Achari, then uh, you might uh, re-sign a contract with the St. Louis Blues. So I think he's the type of player that the Blues would love to keep around, regardless of uh, which direction this goes. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. You should be following him if you're not already over on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Jer, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Anytime, boys. Thanks a lot. See you, Jer. Right, hopefully, Jer tells Braden Shin hello for me. Hello. T-Bone? It's me that you're looking for. Oh, you guys took the whole thing. With Alex oh, no, Ferrario was... and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, I do want to react real quick to what he said there about Noel Chari because it's something we've discussed quite a bit. He kind of echoes your sentiments on, hey, Noel Chari is a guy that makes sense for the Blues. He does everything that they want. He's a good penalty killer. He could play fourth line. He could play up. If they are going to end up trading or leaving or losing uh, Ivan Barbashev by the end of the season, one way or the other, free agency or via trade. I mean, you could see how Nola Chari could fit into that role of what Ivan Barbashev had been for them previously, where one night he's your fourth line center. The next night you've got a guy that's out of the lineup in your top nine. So Nola Chari just plugs and plays there. You've got that with Alexi Torpchenko to a degree as well. Between those two guys, I do think that's something that you could build around as a foundational piece for that fourth line. If you were the Arizona Coyotes and all you're doing is trying to gain as much draft picks as possible, I would absolutely endorse trading away Nolachari because it doesn't matter how good of a player he is for you or a role player, you need picks because you're awful and you're going to be awful. But if the Blues really think they can find a way to turn this around by next season and they just gain some pieces, then I just think you got to keep a guy like Nolachari around. And let's be realistic if the cap moves a little bit for you and you have a little bit more space and you're offsetting all of these contracts, what's your top nine look like to you guys right now or for next season? Kairou, Thomas, Puchdevich, Saad, Shen, and then a blank space there, depending on what else you do. And can you afford to bring in a David Pasternak or a Bo Horvat or a Dylan Larkin? I, I don't know. Can you bring back O'Reilly? You got you got to have some guys who can play in your top six, top nine. Otherwise, you're going to be a worse offense than what you are this season. Torpchenko could be one of those guys for you. Noel Chari might be a top nine winger for you next season or the top or nine center. center. He might be your third line center next he year. He might be. And so that's why rather than just get a fourth round draft pick for Noel Chari, I think you're better off looking at him and say, no, we need you next season. What if we give you a two-year deal for the same amount of money you're making right now? And that's why I think that that's the first thing you do. I think the first thing that the Blues do, the order of operations here is pretty simple to me. Lock you guys offer up. him the contract first, mm -hmm. and if they don't resign, then you say, hey, listen, we, we really want you to be around here, but if you're not willing to sign this now, 
we can't yeah. wait to see what the market's going to look like for you in the off season. We've got to be able to recoup some assets because there's a good chance you would then end up pricing yourself out of our market. It wouldn't surprise me if we hear something of him signing a contract extension January, February time, because once you get that little bye week in February, that's when teams start talk- talking with agents. It's when Bortz did it last yep. year. It's when we've seen in the Gunnarsson past did it a couple of years ago. It. Jay Bomeister did it. It would not surprise me if you see a two-year contract extension for Nola Chari before the end of the season. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're playing a game of Tinder Tuesday coming up at 1.30. But next, the Brewers just made the move of the offseason, in my opinion. I can't believe that they were able to get this done. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So I think the Brewers just made the trade of the offseason. It's weird because the headliner in all of this was the A's and the Braves make a deal. Sean Murphy was traded to the Braves. And as part of that deal, the Braves gave up four of their top 16 prospects. They also traded William Contreras. Here's the kicker, Alex. The best prospect in this deal that the A's really wanted. He came from the Brewers and the best hitter in this deal, at least based on last year, the only all-star in this deal from last year was William Contreras. He didn't go to the A's. He didn't go to the Braves. No, he went to the Brewers. The Brewers ended up getting involved in this deal because according to all reports, they had the prospect that the A's really valued. It's this Ruiz character. He's an outfielder slash utility infielder that the Brewers acquired at the trade deadline in return for Josh Hader along with Rogers. So they got a reliever for the rest of the season that filled in as their closer. They got an ups, a high upside outfielder that's very fast, but does not hit the ball very hard. And that's the guy they end up flipping now, essentially, for William Contreras. Now, if you're not familiar with Contreras, this is, yes, Wilson Contreras' brother. He's young. He's cost-controlled for the next, like, four years. And, oh, by the way, last year he was 40% above league average offensively. He can play catcher. He can DH for them. And he's pretty athletic. He'd probably move around the field if necessary. But I think he's probably going to end up landing as their catcher. Alex, for as much as we've talked about how the Brewers are likely to take a step back, I don't think it's coming this year. I think we're a year away from them really taking that step back and maybe listening to offers on their starters, maybe listening to offers on the back end of their bullpen as well. I like the way that the Brewers have approached this offseason. They now add William Contreras behind the plate. That's an upgrade for them significantly. They needed an offensive player like that. And Jesse Winker, who we talked about as being potentially an interesting player for the Cardinals, he's now going to be a part of that lineup as an outfielder for them, essentially replacing what they had with Hunter Renfro. I like this deal for the Brewers. I think they were the ones that won this trade, and I didn't even think that they were going to be involved in such a deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that Milwaukee has done some competent moves in this offseason because I was like you. I thought this was about to be like fire sale mold where you see Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff being shipped off. We have the rumors of Willie Adamas being moved. You already saw Josh Hader move. I didn't see them finding a way to kind of retool it and say like, yeah, we can compete now in the NL Central. And William Contreras, that is the most fascinating thing to me because it felt like Atlanta was just locking everybody up. Atlanta was just like, hey, we got our core in place and William Contreras is our catcher. 
and to just ship them out. And I mean, we all saw the tweet from William Contreras where it was like broken heart emojis. It was just a really odd trade. I mean, they wanted Murphy. Murphy's a better overall catcher. I, I get why they decided to do this. I know I've seen a lot of people having the same questions as you, Alex. So it's it's a totally fair and valid question to ask. I, William Contreras is a very good hitter. He does not have a great reputation, at least thus far in his early career, of defensively what he is there as a game caller, all of these different things. Sean Murphy has all of that. Sean Murphy is an all-around catcher who's great defensively and, oh, by the way, is very good as a hitter as well. Maybe a slight downgrade from what they had with Contreras, but they can make that up with what they have for the rest of their lineup. Murphy's going to be a really good player for them, and my guess is they're probably going to lock Murphy up now over the long haul as well, so he's going to be a long-term player for them. So I, I get why they do this, especially when, in their mind, they might be thinking, hey, we basically upgraded at catcher for the next five years and we didn't have to give up a ton in terms of prospects capital because while they gave up four of their top 16 none of those guys were in the top 100 it's a win-win-lose trade in my opinion because brewers won atlanta won and i don't know what the hell oakland did but i guess they considered it a win i think that's a loss I, I do, too. It really comes down to whether or not this Ruiz kid is, is as good as they seem to think that he is. Now and They reviewed him as like a Billy Hamilton. Like, if I remember Billy Hamilton correctly, <laughs> meh. Well, he was fast. L- last year, he in the minors hit 300 with a 440 on base percentage. If that was real, if he now has just a really high contact rate and gets on base at a crazy percentage and, oh, by the way, can steal 60 bags for you, okay, sure, I, I get that, but... If he ends up being kind of the more profile what he, that he was prior to this past season, well, then he's like a 200 hitter. That is Billy Hamilton. Oh. The, the value in that is is extraordinarily low. It is certainly not the value of, you know, an everyday catcher, which is what Sean Murphy essentially was. Somebody on the text line asked the question that I asked immediately upon seeing this uh, news yesterday from the 618. Guys, how does Oakland go from wanting Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan, and Gordon Graceffo to accepting what they eventually got in that deal. Now, this goes to Ken Rosenthal's reporting from earlier today. He said that uh, while there was a report from Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch saying that the Cardinals uh, were asked for Newt Bar Donovan and Gordon Graceffo, he said, Ken Rosenthal, that he talks to another source briefed on those talks that believed that the A's wanted Newt Bar or Donovan plus Graceffo, which makes a lot more sense. That was kind of our thought at the time was if you asked for one of these two guys in Graceffo, I could maybe see how that would work. Not both of them. He then added in the athletic today, quote, the Cardinals were unwilling to trade any of those players and instead wanted the A's to choose from two of the following group. Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman, Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes. Now, I find this to be a really interesting report. First of all, you got to accept that it's true. And sometimes things in trade negotiations can be lost in translation, especially when it gets reported after the fact. Take, for example, was it Newt plus Donovan and Graceffo or was it Newt or Donovan and Graceffo? Those are two very different constructions of trades. If it is true that the Cardinals were just flat out not willing to include one of Newt Bar Donovan, which seems possible to me, given the fact that they also tried with the Blue Jays, apparently, to trade Helsley instead of Newt Bar, can we now definitively say that Newt and Donovan are above in the Cardinals' organizational view? Carlson, Gorman, Yepes, and Burleson? 
Is that fair to say in your guys' mind? I mean, I think so. I think that I think it's pretty clear cut and dry right there for you that Donovan and Noop are obviously the superior players in the Cardinals' eyes if and everyone true, else. Yeah, and everyone else is complimentary players to them. I I agree with that's how I think the Cardinals are now approaching it, that Donovan is the um, Donovan and Newt are higher in terms of the pecking order of those guys when you look at them in terms of are we willing to move on from them, which honestly I kind of – I can understand maybe the Donovan one over like Carlson and, and maybe Gorman. The Newt bar one to me is still is, is – I, I can't buy into it. I I wouldn't gamble on such the high upside of a large Newt bar who hasn't really shown much but for a two-month stretch. And I understand Gorman hasn't shown anything in the big leagues yet, but he's got even more – in my in my opinion, a higher ceiling than what Lars Newpart does. Maybe I can understand Lars over Carlson because we've talked about it. When you look at Carlson, the upside for Carlson's like the perfect everyday solid player. I, I don't know if I've seen anybody say, you know, the upside for Carlson's gonna be this guy that has thirty home run power, a guy that can be a all star caliber player that can end up being who the was guy it that, that hits said the middle that of the his order. comp was Andre Ethier. I can't remember who it was specifically, but that's the kind of I think of that was that uh, Kyle is it Kyle? McDaniel? Kylie McDaniel? No, I thought there's Kyle Glazer. Kyle Glazer? Oh, from Baseball America? Yeah, I think he was the one that said that. And, and that's like a 20% above league yeah. average hitter who's pretty good defensively, maybe wins a gold glove. So, like, I can understand if they view, like, Donovan, who's going to be a utility player, can play all over the place, gets on base a lot, may never ever end up being, like, a middle-of-the-order hitter, but a solid leadoff guy for you. I can understand them valuing him over Carlson, and I can understand... I would understand personally valuing Gorman over Carlson because of the power that he has and can bring, and he has the potential to be a thirty to thirty-five home run guy. The Newport one to me, I still, I still wouldn't buy. I, I think you should still view Carlson over Lars Newport because I see Carlson as being a solid everyday player. Newport to me, there's still a lot of unknown, and and that's what I find interesting of this report that you know they are willing to listen to Carlson over Newport because I I I would I've said this before on the show I would sell high on Newport's value that everybody in baseball seems to be high on him and again I'm I'm lower than anybody else across any major league baseball team apparently on Lars Newport It's interesting to me because they just they need to be right and they've been wrong too many times on the outfield They were right for a year on Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader Those three guys in 2021 they made them look super smart And then this past season, it went the wrong direction once again. And we've been doing this like outfields roulette for a decade, like since 2013, the Cardinals, it seems like every year have a new transition in the outfield and that's going to happen at times. But who is at least one or two of the guys that you can you can just build around? That you can just say you set it and forget it, and you just don't worry about that. The way that they are at first and third, and we're at catcher. Like you don't have a ton of those spots. You should have one, maybe two in the outfield. And the Cardinals just have not had that since Matt Holiday. So I think that's what they're hoping Newt can be. They're hoping that Lars Newtbar, as a left-handed hitter that plays plus defense in the outfield, is super athletic, has all of the makeup that you'd look for. And, oh, by the way, all of the peripherals suggest this guy's really good. Maybe they get right on him. If they're wrong, though, and they end up looking back at this offseason and saying to themselves, we could have had a starting catcher potentially for him, or we could have gone out there and made other trades for him that's when it will be the same conversation that people are now having about the Dylan Carlson stuff. Now, that is unfair. The Carlson thing with the Juan Soto sweepstakes, not entirely true. The Harrison Bader thing that everybody brings up with the Zach Wheeler sweepstakes, not entirely true. But that's how this thing gets framed. And if they end up being wrong on Newt Bar, that's how the fans will look at it in the next few years. I, I think they do have, and you tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think they do have a little bit of 
fear factor from the Rosarena deal still with Lars Nupar. I also think, like, I, I get why they're high on him. I really do. I understand you're low on him, but you look at the advanced numbers, everything in his hitter profile suggests this guy should be really good. And last year you saw it. The the potential turned into production at the major league level. So for me, I, I, I totally get why they're not selling him. I do. But if they end up being wrong, I mean, the, the cost of not selling now is you're wrong on him. He ends up being a fourth outfielder next year. You could have sold him really high this year, and next year you're selling a fourth outfielder. And I, and I think that goes both ways. If I, I can understand your perspective, too, and I also think it was, you know, everybody else, and I'm not saying the Cardinals were, were low on him because they are high on him, but I think they saw the, all the interest across Major League Baseball and went, well, we don't want to move on from him because if we For do sure. trade Randy Rosarena 2.0, we just got rid of another guy that could be starting in the outfield or looking for a set piece. That's the other thing. Like, he could be offensively what Randy Rosarena is and defensively significantly better. That's what you could potentially be trading. So that's that's where the value comes in. In 15 minutes, we'll get into BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, let's play a Tender Tuesday. Reliever edition on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for a Tinder Tuesday Reliever Edition here on 101 ESPN. I'm going to explain these rules once and only once, and that is all you get for the rest of the show. Ferraria, listen. Hmm? If you like it, you are swiping to the right. If you do not like it, you swipe to the left. That is how Tinder works. That is how Tinder Tuesday works. You also have one other option. You can use it one time during a Tinder Tuesday. It is called a Super Swipe! when you really like it and you really well, swipe you really to the right. really like it. All right, the Cardinals should be in, in my opinion. I'm not going to like any of these On the way. relievers that are available in this year's market. Some of these guys are going to get paid more than others. Some of them fit different roles than others, but we can go through as many of these as we can in the time that we have available to us. Let's start with Adam Ottavino, who, in my opinion, is the top reliever available on the market right now. 66 games last year with the New York Mets. Had a 2.1 ERA. It all seemed to work out. Now he's 37 years old. That's the downside of it. The upside is last year he had a 2-1 ERA with a 31% strikeout rate. That's among the best in baseball. He uses a slider-sinker combo. He makes a lot of sense philosophically with what the Cardinals have been in the past, and he adds the added benefit of a lot of swing and miss stuff. Alex, you swiping right or left on Adam Ottavino? I'll swipe right because I like it. 37 makes me a little worried, and I feel like if you're going to get a guy like this, you're probably going to have to give him a two-year deal, which also makes me a little nervous when it comes to bullpen arms, older bullpens arms, and the Cardinals are giving out multi-year deals. But it's hard to deny the stuff that he had this season with the Mets, so I'll swipe right. I definitely swipe right. He's someone that, I, that I've that i had interest in since we've really started this, and he have kind of a history with him uh, dating back to when I think he was drafted by the Cardinals. If 2010, I'm not first year in the big leagues was here in St. Louis. Yeah, he's got an yeah, 8 so ERA with the Cardinals. Got some connections. Hopefully he's better than that, but I, I would definitely be in on Adam Adovino. He did have some injury issues in the past. He did have some ineffectiveness issues in the past. He's a guy I've heard him talk in the past on uh, MLB Network about how he's process over results, and he liked his process all along. Last year, he saw the results. I am in on Adam Adovino. I would swipe to the right as well. Here's another one that's looking for a bounce back candidate. Craig Kimbrell, you guys all probably know the name. Down year for the Dodgers. Got left off of their playoff roster. 63 games, a 3.75 ERA, which doesn't sound all that bad. 
The hard hit rate, though, was awful for him. He was getting hit too hard, and the big reason why? Bad luck on his fastball. It got hit harder than it has in the past. He's a fastball curveball combo guy. 28% strikeout rate, which is pretty darn good. Alex, would you buy low on Craig Kimbrell, which is still probably, you know, a 10 to $12 million deal, swiping right or left on Kimbrell as an option for the Cardinals? I'm swiping right. I brought this one up all along. I love this option because I do think you can buy low on this, especially a guy who's probably trying to prove it after being left off of the Dodgers uh, playoff roster. And the one for me is looking at that year a couple of years ago with Chicago where he pitched to Wilson Contreras. I think maybe you can get that chemistry back. You got your high leverage guy in your bullpen, probably looking at a one-year deal for him because he's probably trying to reset himself even though he's 34, 35 years old. I'd buy low on this one and I would be in on Kimbrell, so I'm swiping right. I would swipe right as well. And typically, I don't want to jump in on a pitcher that has had a bad season coming off of. But when you look at his numbers, he wasn't all that bad. The 3.75 ERA, I know some of the underlying metrics were bad for him. But he's a guy that has proven in the past that he can bounce back from some bad years. I thought there for a while when he was with the Cubs, his career was over, especially when he first signed that deal with them. He's able to bounce back, came back to the closer that you knew from his time in Atlanta with the Boston Red Sox. So, I think he can bounce back again. I would swipe right. And you don't have to use him as a closer. I'm swiping right as well. And this is what I think is really interesting about the market right now. There's a lot of guys that we're about to talk about that I would probably swipe right on. This is a very robust reliever market mm. still, even at this point in the offseason. Next one up, another guy that I'm swiping right on is Seth Lugo. 62 games last year, 3.6 ERA with the Mets. Had a 25% strikeout rate. Again, that's something that the Cardinals should be hunting for right now. He's previously a starter, so he's got basically everything in his arsenal. He primarily uses the curve, four-seam and seeker combo, but he's got other stuff in there as well. Did not have a great chase rate, did not have a great whiff rate, but does get the strikeout stuff nonetheless great spin rate on the curveball that's his primary pitch to get out guys you swipe in right or left on seth lugo 33 year old righty from the mets i would swipe right he's probably not near the top of my list on this list that we're about to go through for this tinder tuesday but i would swipe right i have interest in me he's always been that analytical darling with that curveball it's Mm -hmm. always got a really high spin rate as you mentioned so I'd have interest in him. I'd bring him in, but like I said, he wouldn't be near the top of my list. I swipe left. Doesn't get me too excited about it. <laughs> not, eh. Is it the spin rate? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Who spin cares? Spin rate. Spin rate. No, I, it's just I, I think I'm looking. I don't know. He seems like a middle reliever guy for He's me fine. rather than a deep end of the bullpen guy. I think that's probably true. The next one up is a guy that could play like a swing role in your bullpen for you if necessary. Now, there are some injury concerns here. Trevor May only pitched in 26 games last year. He threw 25 innings, had a 5-0 ERA. So you're looking for a little bit of a bounce back here. Some of that was unlucky. Short sample size, couple of runs. That can make things are go these sideways. these all Mets guys? That's the other thing. The Mets <laughs> bullpen was really Mets good last year. Oh, man, are you just a, a, a Steve Cohen guy? 27% strikeout rate last season. And if you look at his recent history, man, he's been really good when it comes to the contact against him. I really like him. I think he makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals, but it's all about the health. What are the what are the reports look like? If he's healthy, I would be very interested in Trevor May, 33 years old, previously with the Mets. I'm swiping right. Alex, are you? No, swiping left. Not in on this. I just, uh, uh, this is like Seth Lugo, and, and maybe I'm just off on it. Maybe he is a perfect guy, but for me, he just doesn't scream a guy that the Cardinals need in their bullpen. I'm just looking high leverage guys who are following up a Helsley and a Gallegos and Trevor May's just not that for me. See, I would swipe right because if he's healthy, he can be that guy that can be the seventh inning, the bridge to Gallegos and uh, Helsley. So 
again, it comes down to health, as you mentioned, but I would swipe right. I'd have interest in Trevor May. Speaking of health, here's another one. Corey Knavel. If he's healthy, you love him. If he's not, he ain't going to be pitching for you. He uh, last year was with the Detroit Tigers at a what? certain point in time, I, I believe. I thought he was with the Philly. Phillies. Don't know what I'm seeing here. This is obviously wrong. Uh, he's from Detroit. There you go. That must be it, I guess. Well, no, he was drafted by Detroit. He's not from That's- Detroit. Expected numbers, very good for him. When you look at what he uses, he does get a decent amount of swing and miss. But last year, the strikeout rate was way down, 21%. Previously, it was right around the 30% mark. This is one of those guys that you would be betting on a bounce back season, similar to the Kimbrel stuff. But I think there's more in Kimbrel's profile to suggest that it's there for him. I would probably swipe right on Knable if... The price is lower than what it is for the rest of these guys. Yeah, I mean, you got to tell me what the price is on this. Like, there's stipulations here because if we're talking like less than 10 mil on a one year deal, I'd take advantage of that and probably swipe right. But if it's north of that or something, I would be swiping left because if, if I'm going to go for somebody who I'm buying low on and hoping for a rebound, it would be a guy who has been one of the best in Major League Baseball. And I know Corey Knable had his moments with Milwaukee, but meh, I'm swiping left. I'm going to. Super swipe. This is your guy. This is my guy. I, I wanted him last year when he was available. If you remember, yep. I, I, we I think wanted when, all the Phillies bullpen. Am guys. I reading yeah. this right? Is all he uh, all he throws is fastballs? He's got a slider too, I'm but he doesn't sure. use it very often. I, uh, if he's healthy, he's using it because he's the guy that was with the Dodgers in 2021. That was throwing a wiffle ball. Like, that's what it looks like. When he is right, he can well, spin cheating. the slider. They, they label it as a curve on baseball savant. Oh, that's okay. what I was looking at, 27% like of the time. That's a decent amount. Yeah. So, I, I, when he is healthy, to me, he has some of the best stuff in Major League Baseball from the bullpen side of things because his slider, it looks like a wiffle ball. He's also got kind of sinking action on the fastball. So, I, I'm willing to gamble on a, like, one year. As you said, the market comes down. I'm willing to gamble. I would super swipe on it. Bring him in. If he ends up not being healthy and it's a one-year deal, just cut bait with him and move on. So the next one up is Brad Boxberger. This is a guy that we've seen a good amount of from his time with the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm going to say right now, I'm probably going to swipe to the left on Brad Boxberger. And the reason why is because of the swing and miss stuff. He just doesn't have a lot of it. You look at some of the numbers for him. You put Whitgren in the circle of trust, damn it. Whiff rate's low. Chase rate low. Doesn't have a ton of velocity. Also started walking a decent amount of guys last year. He's around a 10% walk rate for his career. I'm probably swiping left. That being said, if the market continues being at these crazy, crazy high prices for the relievers as it has been with the position players, I could see how you end up getting Brad Boxberger on like a one year, $5 million deal. And that would make a lot of sense for the Cardinals bullpen. So it really just depends on what the market ends up being for these other guys. But for right now, I'm swiping to the left on Boxberger. I'm swiping left. That is way too much blue for me in the important areas. No, sir. I 34 like, years old, too. I like Boxberger. I would swipe right. I think he's someone that you can bring in. If you get someone else that's higher leverage than him, like you're saying, market kind of falls down. You can bring him in. He's the perfect, like, sixth inning man. He can be a seventh inning man for you as well. I like Boxberger. I'd swipe right. I'm not bringing up any of our guys that I wanted to super swipe on. Matt Moore, Michael Lorenzen. Oh, oh I thought you'd super swipe on. Uh, We've already done the Lorenzen and Moore stuff. So, who? Kimbrell thought about it but can't super swipe on a dude who i'm not sure who he's gonna be <laughs> so i've got another one for you guys jp fire Eisen. i wish i hadn't super swiped already this gentleman was dfa'd earlier today by the tampa bay race now i should mention early on he's hurt right now and probably won't pitch until like august at the earliest next season but the rays are reportedly looking for a trade for him 
Now, when the Rays originally were going through that 40-man stuff where they were trying to filter out their roster, I basically said to you guys, this is the one that I would want. If they if they had all of their guys available, this is the guy that I would trade for. I still feel that way. Super Swap! For me, this would be my guy, Alex. He's got a crazy high whiff rate. His stuff plays. And if you're able to acquire him, you DFA somebody from your 40 man. They've got spots available if they need them. You put him on the 60 man once you get into the regular season and he's not affecting your 40 man roster at that point in time during the regular season and you wait for him to get healthy. This would be the guy that right now I would be out there targeting. How do you feel about it? Swipe it right or left. On walked a lot Fire of guys. Walked a lot of guys last year. Uh, 2021 he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's he had a walk that. issue. That was last year. Okay. What? I'd swipe right on this. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah, just go it with it. That was last season. Okay. Last, last year. 2022, my man. Sorry, go ahead. Swiping right or left on fire. I'm not as I'm not as excited about it as you, but injuries don't make me real excited to get a guy on my team and say, oh well, he might be available to us later in the season. But I'm glad you're gonna super swipe on this guy who's injured. I I would swipe right. And you know what? I'm bending the rules. Super swipe! Oh, you can't super swipe twice. Sure I'm, I'm out there, man. I'm I'm fishing in the sea. I, I would definitely bring in, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I'd bring in JP. I, I really Fire-Eisen. like his stuff. Fire Eisen. Fire Eisen. I, I, like, I like his stuff. He's a really good reliever. I have some good conversations. Fire Eisen and Verhagen coming out of the bullpen. I, I really I really do like his stuff, though. I, I think he's a guy that you bring him in. I, I'm willing to take the risk of wait until August, September, whenever he's healthy. He, if it ends up working out, great. If not, I mean, the worst thing that you can do is you just non-tender him once you get to the offseason. And oh, well, you were able to acquire him, whether it be via waivers or it sounds like Tampa's still going to pull off a trade for him with somebody. Yep. You probably give up a l- low-level prospect that's got Maybe you give him more risk just reward. Back. <laughs> yeah, they can have him back. I'm fine with that, actually. All right, so that I'm is Tinder Tuesday for today. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We'll react to a little bit of news before we hand things off here to the fast lane. This comes from Brendan Cutie. He is a reporter uh, up in New Jersey covering the Yankees for the Star Ledger. This comes from him. I am told that the Yankees are Carlos Rodon's preferred destination, but that the Twins and the Cardinals are believed to be seriously in play as of this afternoon. Let's go down a hypothetical path together, Alex. If we take that to be true, and I'm not sure it is, but if we believe that the Cardinals are actually in on Carlos Rodon, let's say they acquire him. It's a six-year deal, $30 per year. How do you feel about that? I was going to say I feel great. I mean, I, I feel great in terms of you're getting a legit dude at the top of your rotation, and it's what we started off the show with. I mean... You're getting a guy that you sit there and argue who's your number one when healthy, Rodon or Flaherty, and that's a good thing to have. But six years, $180 million, it makes me a little concerned. But, I mean, if you were going to be handing out, what did we say the Chris Bassett extension was going to look like? $21 million a year. So, I mean, you're handing out an extra $9 million a year for six years to a guy that is going to be an ace for you if he stays healthy. So, I mean, I look, I can't sit here and say I'm not I'm going to be disappointed about it. I'd be ecstatic because that's an ace for your team, and you just made your ball club even better. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if you bring him in because you're looking for that ace. And as we've said all along, if you're going to get another starting pitcher, it needs to be someone of that caliber. 
That kind of contract, though, with Rodon would scare me. Six years to me is just too long for Carlos Rodon. I mean, at the end of the day, though, if we're sitting here talking about the shortstop, it's like just pay the years and get the best out of it. The, the I can't is, talk I can't, out of the other the side of my mouth. I think, he can, I think a shortstop can stay healthy. The, if Rodon, I could see, like, failing for the six years in this If you're contract. willing to do this, just go get Carlos Correa. That, that would be my take on it. On is, top of Rodon? No, just instead oh. of getting Rodon, go with your rotation as is. And just pay the $30 million per year for, for Correa for an extra four years. Like, do the 10-year $320 million deal and then, as opposed to a six-year $180 million deal. And then deal trade somebody that you were going to use as a middle infielder and go get a starting exactly. pitcher that way. That, that's what I would prefer them to do. Would I be happy with Rodon, though? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said that I wouldn't be. I would say that it's a big concern, and I'll figure that out down the road. Because Carlos Rodon helps you, and I think you'd be a legit World Series contender right now if you add him. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Braden Kylie. The Fast Lane is next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.